Hey, welcome in. Final day today uh, from the uh, NFL Scouting Combine in Indianapolis. Frank Frangie, Hayes, Carly, and Lauren Brooks here on location. Andrew Gibson back at World Headquarters as we wrap up another day. It's been eventful here. Uh, defensive backs uh, were – you were around all the defensive backs today and a lot of good ones out there, weren't there? Yeah, it was a, it was a good day in terms of I – don't, I don't get wrapped up as much with frame uh, as, as yesterday with the defensive linemen and linebackers. I mean, all these guys, you know, look, look you know, pretty much the same um, in terms of uh, frame, link, things like that. But you really get a good sense of these guys when they get up to the podium and they speak for, you know, 10 to 20 minutes – it, that's hard. It's hard at a young age to get in front of 30 strangers that are journalists and be insightful and, uh, and open and, 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 and come across well. I think that's a, that's a difficult challenge. And I do think for, for players that can do it well, and today I would say consistently across the board, and it's one thing to be coached. You can kind of tell if, if an answer is, is sort of coached, and you can tell if it's genuine. I thought the group today was really impressive from that standpoint. I mean, uh, Jamie Robinson from FSU I thought did an outstanding job uh, in his time at the podium. Uh, Clark Phillips, the Utah corner, who is, I think, you know, really talented, opened the year kind of as a first-round pick and is probably going to be more second-round. Uh, I think he'd be great for the Jaguars if he's there in the second round, but to hear these guys talk, the polish of, of Joey Porter Jr., um, you know, what, what really stood out. So uh, it, it, it was a great day. Uh, uh, Brian Branch, uh, the Alabama safety, versatile player, uh, definitely could be a fit for the Jaguars at 24. Um, yeah, I, I came away uh, really impressed by him. So I, I thought a really, you know, almost to a man, really outstanding group talking about their goals, the journey that got them here, uh, and uh, and and really hit the the, the right tone. Uh, Cam Smith, South Carolina uh, corner, could certainly be a player at 24 for the Jaguars. I loved hearing him talk about, uh, you know, going through man coverage and how much he loves that and embraces it, and uh, and to hear these guys talk about how they you know scout receivers and things mm -hmm. like that. It, it was fun. I I think it's uh, we heard kind of going in that uh, it was a really deep year at corner. And uh, I, think, I think you're going to see that. I think a lot of these guys that were here today are going to be big-time players in the NFL. Yeah, I love being at the Combine and, and watching them just walk around. We, I walked by earlier. You got to see the quarterbacks in a room getting their pictures taken. And you see them milling about here and there. And, and it's fun to, to see them interact with each other. Some of them, I'm sure, have known each other for years. And, and some just met here at the Scouting Combine. But, Frank, we also have a franchise tag today. Yeah, we do. And that's the big news of the day. Uh, Evan Ingram, I, I say in news. It hadn't happened yet. But uh, Adam Schefter reporting, and apparently he is right, that the Jaguars will tag Evan Ingram. That's news Sort of, <laughs> because we all knew that there was a good chance he was going to get tagged. He knew it. Everyone's talked about it. I do believe, uh, Hayes, the, the conventional thinking is, and, and I certainly will em embrace this and accept this, is that this is a um, they're going to hold this over. It's a, a, it, it's a holding pattern. Temporary. A, a temporary deal. Yeah, I, a placeholder, if you will, until they get the deal done, an extension done. Uh, the belief all along, we talked about it on all of our shows on the radio station, the belief all along was they weren't going to franchise Juwan Taylor at any point, or no matter what, because it's $18 million and it'd be left tackle money. So they were going to have the franchise tag available 
for uh, for Evan Ingram, and there was a pretty good chance they were going to use it because there's no way he's not going to be on the team. The bottom line is Evan Ingram is going to be on the team, uh, hopefully for a number of years and they get an extension done, but he was going to get the tag one way or the other. Yeah, I think once the Jaguars realized or, or came to the realization that they were not going to use the tag on anyone but Evan Ingram, it buys you a lot of time, and it's a deadlines league. So now you've got basically until about a week before training camp will open to come to an agreement with Evan Ingram. Uh, so there is an expiration date in terms of being able to get an extension done, but it is months and months and months off. And it might benefit both parties just to see, you know, what does the tight end market look like this year? What does Dalton Schultz get if he hits the market, if Dallas doesn't tag him? Uh, what about uh, Mike Gusecki uh, for the Dolphins, who probably is going to hit the market? What kind of deal is he looking at? It's going to give them a really up-to-date barometer on exactly what Evan Ingram might have gotten because he's, he's in that group. It's not like he's stratospherically better than those players, uh, and, and, and he's not worse. So whatever those deals come in at, uh, you know, Austin Hooper, Irv Smith Jr., that those are other uh, free agent tight ends that will give you a good sense of not a projection of what the market is, but exactly what the market is. My guess is, you know, come April, May, uh, they will be, they will see this both parties and and they will reach a, a multi-year extension. Yeah, I totally agree. I don't know about Dalton Schultz. Mike Gusecki to me seems to be a bit of a punk. And so I don't know that they would have brought him into this locker room if they ever had thought about not signing Juwan or not signing Evan Ingram. Yeah, yeah. I, I think for me, I, I think, and uh, we've been talking about this all along, the opportunity to keep the band together is what so much of this has been about. This is so much of this has been about the opportunity to keep the team that had such a good culture and such belief in each other, to your point, the right guys uh, yeah, I, I, so, so I think he's going to be on the team. So we'll see. Um, I don't – I do believe this, and I've said it all along, and you, we, know, we all know these are all connected. There's not a doubt in my mind, not a doubt in my mind, that they are beyond committed, beyond committed to bringing Juwan Taylor back. I, I, I think if you looked at all the stuff, all the stuff they're doing, I mean, all the the Christian Kirk and Zay Jones and Foye Luicon and Brandon Sheriff all redoing their deals. The extension for Roy Robertson Harris that's going to be first year friendly uh, from a financial standpoint. Uh, going ahead and saying that we're we're going to at worst right now we're going to pay eleven million dollars to Evan Ingram this year. That, that's that's the worst the cap structure will be, and that's if they don't get a deal done. It's all toward getting Juwan Taylor paid. I 100% believe that. Agree or disagree? No, I, I do agree. But if I do think that if it Juwan Taylor doesn't get paid, if they can't come to an agreement and he hits the market yeah. and signs elsewhere, I don't think they're going to sit on that money. It's going to be spent. I agree, I agree I mean, with that. I think this is absolutely a go all in and, uh, and, and, and try and win it all. And I absolutely think they should. You know, we've talked about this in the last couple of days. Uh, this, this roster is ready. And uh, it's, uh, it's got depth that it simply will not have uh, in the years moving forward as Trevor Lawrence uh, continues to grow. Now, hopefully he'll continue to grow at such a level that they will still be a title contender because he's so amazing uh, that he'll be able to, to get them there with eight other 
you know, really good players around him. This year, Trevor Lawrence is going to have about 22 good to potentially really good players around him. So, yeah, if you don't get it done with Jawan Taylor, uh, you're going to allocate that money because they – and they're, they're going to do this, so this isn't a criticism, but uh, they've got to spend to the level because this is a title-winning year. You're not going to have depth like this at any point moving forward. Uh, because of the the structure of Trevor Lawrence's rookie contract and what his expensive second contract will look like. So if all three of us were betting, we would bet Juwan Taylor's on this team next year. Is that correct? I'm going to st- still stick with yes. Okay. But it's, <laughs> it's, it's tepid. 51. That is my okay. answer. That, yeah, you could never answer that better for me. I'm going to say yes. That'd be my answer. If you If you made me go yes or no, I would go, yes. Here's the thing. You'd slide the money across slowly. Yeah, yeah. The truth is, the real truth is, they really want him. He's a good player. They have a good line. They want to keep the good line together. They want to get guys to their second contract. But one team offers left tackle money. I don't think there's anything they can do. And so I think that's where your your trepidation is. Mm-hmm. It's where my trepidation is. But, but you asked a good question. Uh, all, the, all, the, all the BS aside <laughs> – Yes or no, what do you think? I say he's going to be on the team. I say he's going to be on the team. I think Jawan wants to be here. <laughs> I think the Jaguars certainly want to have him. The only thing that's going to stop it is stupid money elsewhere. And stupid money elsewhere can't be discounted until I think he hits the market. So, uh, or at least, again, his, his camp, Rosenhaus is going to have a very good idea of what Jawan Taylor is going to get. Again, the legal tampering doesn't begin until, you know, the middle of this month. But the legal tampering has begun. I mean, we're at the Combine. (laughs) Everyone's here. The agents are talking to the GMs. And the GMs that are interested in Juwan Taylor from other clubs are absolutely letting uh, Rosenhaus know this is our price point. So it'll be interesting to see as we come out of Indianapolis uh, and we get into next week, about a week from today, It'll be interesting to see, does that become a hot zone for the Jaguars getting a deal done with Juwan Taylor? Because I think Juwan Taylor's camp is going to have a really firm grasp of the number the Jaguars are going to have to beat. Yeah, it'll be. What do you expect Juwan to make if he's a Jaguar versus if he was able to get left tackle money? What do you think the discrepancy is there? I think it's probably, you're looking at probably an average of $6 million a year more. Difference, okay. Yeah. So, yeah, that's a lot of money over the lifetime of probably a three-year deal. All right, we'll take a break. When we come back, we've got a lot more to talk about. We're going to start with some fantasy talk. Matthew Barry is a fantasy expert, one of the best in the business, right? Yeah, if there was like a Mount Rushmore of fantasy football, this guy is on it. He might be first. Um, he's been doing it since the beginning. Uh, obviously came up through ESPN, uh, moved over to NBC Sports last year, has like 1.1 million twitter followers which i think is just slightly less than what you have frank <laughs> right just, um, just a little yeah and slightly so, uh, less but yeah. less so yeah i mean if, if you're into fantasy football which many of us are uh yeah his, his you know you've, you've definitely heard matthew barry probably talk about uh players that you're interested in so i thought it'd be fun to get a jaguars really centric view from matthew at this point and obviously a lot has to play out but to get uh get matthew's thoughts on projecting what Trevor and, and company will be uh, in fantasy football moving forward. All right, we'll take a break. Got a lot more to do. Live from Indianapolis on 1010XL and 92.5 FM. 
Hodges Mazda presents the Frangie Show at the Combine. Brought to you by Window World of Northeast Florida and the law office of Stephen Doty on 1010XL. How many roads must a man walk down before you call him a man? How many seas must the white dove sail before she sleeps in the sand? Considered by many the greatest songwriter of all time. How many times Bob Dylan today on Old Rock Thursday. I like it. You would get my vote. Live from my Mine too. too. My too. Live from Indianapolis. Glad you are with us today. We are at the NFL Scouting Combine, the last day here. Where many answers are blowing Where in Where many answers are indeed. <laughs> um, not many about who's one of the better fantasy guys. And by the way, fantasy fo- I'm not a fantasy player. I always tell Dempsey because Mike Dempsey at our staff is so good at it. I mean, he's really, really good. He's one of the best really around, I mean, and I'm not just locally. Absolutely. He, he talks about it year-round. Yeah, and he's regarded yeah. as – Mike's regarded as one of the best nationally. Absolutely. I mean, he really is. does a serious show, so he, he kills it on fantasy. He's really good at it and committed to it. And so is Matthew Berry, one of the most people that is most known nationally uh, to talk fantasy football. Hayes caught up with Matthew Berry a little bit earlier on. We're pleased to be joined with Matthew Barry here on 1010XL 92.5 FM. Matthew, we've been obviously getting your fantasy football advice for a very long time now. Thank you so much for that, and it's a, it's a privilege to see you. How are you doing? I appreciate it. Thanks. I'm doing great. I'm at the Combine. Get better. I know. It's, it's unbelievable. And in Jacksonville, we might actually have some Jaguars that are now fantasy relevant. We haven't really had that all that often over the last 10 years. Well, you guys did this year um, a lot of sleepers that panned out, and I think they're going to be a lot more expensive come draft day based on the success of the Jaguars this year. I'm excited about this offense. Look, Doug Peterson's always been a fantasy-friendly coach. When he was in Philadelphia, he was, and obviously this past year in Jacksonville, he was. You know, you sort of work through the players, right? I mean, obviously Trevor Lawrence. I think Trevor Lawrence is a borderline top 10, top 12 fantasy quarterback as well. Um you know, because he uses his legs and because it's going to be a pass-first offense. I'm excited to see what uh, Calvin Ridley, assuming he gets cleared and added to the team, what he adds to this offense. We'll see if Evan Ingram comes back. But obviously, big first year for Christian Kirk and Zay Jones in that offense. Uh, seems like they both really had a great connection with Trevor. So I think, you know, Kirk and Zay Jones will both be viable fantasy players. Ingram, if he comes back top 10 fantasy tight end and Ridley's kind of the the ultimate sleeper I don't believe there'll be a fantasy football draft this year where Travis Etienne gets out of the first round yeah he was uh obviously incredible coming off the list Frank but his receiving was good but not outstanding but it well that's such a big part of his game at least it seemed like it, it do you think that that's an element where Etienne could be 1,300 yards on the ground and maybe 500, 600 through the air? Yeah, sure. He's obviously versatile. I, I, For me, you know, and you guys study this closer than me in Jacksonville, but for me, what was so impressive to me about ETN wasn't the pass catching because that's what I expected coming out of Clemson. What was impressive to me was, like, how tough he was. Like, with all the between-the-tackle stuff, you know, I thought, and we saw it play out at the beginning of the year, I thought, you know what, James Robinson's going to be the hammer, and then you're going to use ETN in space and kind of do a thunder and lightning thing. And then, you know, Robinson moves on to the Jets, and, you know, you get some nice snaps out of Jermichael Hasty, but ultimately, like, Travis Etienne was thunder and lightning. He was both. So um, really excited to see, and he came through the season healthy, which I think is most important. You know, a lot of times when 
when guys have injuries like what Travis suffered, you know, maybe there's a year before the explosiveness comes back, and that wasn't the case. Clearly, second half of the year, he was nothing short of fantastic. Do you get a sense the Jaguars are, are winning games now? They played very well in the second half. So that does that limit Trevor Lawrence's fantasy upside in terms of maybe there won't be as many fourth quarters where he's got to air it out because they're down by 10, 14 points? Do you, even, do you let that factor in at all? A little bit, but I think, again, when you when you consider the fact that, look, Doug Peterson's a former quarterback. He's a former NFL quarterback. He's an Andy Reid disciple. And Doug Peterson's going to throw. He's always going to throw. And so when you think about the number of weapons they have there, you think about Trevor's own ability, Trevor, another year in this system, you know, finally, you know, washing off the Urban Meyer uh, disaster, like, and the mobility of Trevor. I just don't think Trevor gets talked enough about for his mobility, right? I mean, like, we're not saying he's Lamar Jackson or Josh Allen, but he's pretty mobile. And I don't think people give him enough credit for that. And especially in fantasy, that matters when you get 20, 30 extra yards. You get a couple of points uh, thanks to his legs as well. So um, it's it's one of the reasons why I have Trevor in the kind of that 10 to 12 range as opposed to the top five range uh, is because – to your point, I don't think they'll be getting into a ton of shootouts because it's an improving defense. But, no, at the end of the day, Trevor's still going to put up a lot of fantasy points. Matthew Berry, senior fantasy analyst for NBC Sports, kind enough to join us. In terms of looking at the uh, at the receivers for the Jaguars, and, again, I'm sorry that the entire uh, convention decided to leave right as we started to do this, um, but when you look at the receivers for the Jaguars, Christian Kirk, Zay Jones, Calvin Ridley, is it almost like just wait and see which one falls to you because none of you're not really exactly sure how that's going to go in terms of the higher? I mean, you, you would think Kirk and Ridley are the two, but how do you think you'll approach that as we get closer to drafts? I think it's, it's sort of seeing how, first off, we have to see what the status is on Ridley. Is he, is, he, is he there? Is he able to practice with the team? Can he get involved? What's he look like? He's been out of football for over a year. Um, uh, for well over a year, right? And how quickly can he get up to speed? You know, sometimes it also is kind of game plan specific. There are times where Christian Kirk was kind of on my love list because we knew that they were playing a team that was really poor against the slot, which is obviously where he he lines up for most of the time. There are other times where we're like, oh, we think this is a Zay Jones game because, you know, this team struggles against perimeter wide receivers. And so um, in terms of overall season value, I'm going to prefer Kirk to Zay Jones. No disrespect to Zay Jones. I just think Kirk's a better receiver. Mm-hmm. So it's the guy that got paid more. You always try to follow the money a little bit yeah. uh, when it comes to uh, fantasy sports, especially when that money is followed by production. Kirk obviously had a huge year, and there's clearly a connection between him and Trevor. Uh, but I think both guys will uh, you know, be uh, nice draft picks this year. Obviously, rookies can have such an impact on fantasy football. Who are some that, that you think are going to be the most impactful? Uh, do you have a, an early sense of that yet, or the environment is so important we have to see where they get picked? Yeah, I mean, that's exactly right. You know, the example I always get, look, Bijan Robinson is going to be a star wherever he goes, right? But the example I always give is the year that Derrick Henry came out, I thought he was the best running back coming out of football that year, just from a pure prospect standpoint. But then he goes to Tennessee where he's going to back up DeMarco Murray. And you're like, all right, well, there's no fantasy value there. He's literally like it took Derrick Henry like three years to get on the field. He was backing up uh, Murray and, and Deion Lewis of all things. <laughs> like, so it's, it's all – there have been examples of players that aren't as good, but they get – they're in a fantasy-friendly environment. They get an opportunity to shine. And suddenly, you know, 
they have more fantasy relevance than players that are better than them just because of the opportunity. And so, um, so I think it depends, you know, um, in terms of, I always say this, fantasy success comes from two things, talent and opportunity. The talent we know from all these prospects, but we don't know the opportunity yet. So it's impossible to really to say like, oh, I love that guy or that guy until we know what team they're on, what scheme they're going to be playing on, what their opportunity for playing time is and how well that meshes with, you know, what the, who their quarterback is and all a lot of things that go into a player's fantasy success or lack thereof. So, yeah, I talk to me after the draft. Yeah. Any buy low options that you're excited about and around the NFL? Deshaun Watson, Russell Wilson coming off struggles. Uh, any anybody receiver, running back that maybe didn't have the strongest year, but you think you could get it at a good value? Yeah, I mean, I think I'm I'm buying a Russell Wilson bounce back. I think with with uh, Sean Payton there, I think there's no way he's as bad as as he was. I you know I kind of like guys that that performed well but are coming off of an injury, like uh, you know I'm a you know, like J.K. Dobbins. Like, you know, no one's really talking about J.K. Dobbins. But, you know, here at the Combine, uh, Coach Harbaugh talking and uh, General Manager DaCosta both talking about the fact that, you know, they expect him to be 100% fully healthy. And so you're kind of interested about that. Obviously, it depends on what happens with Lamar. But, um, you know, so I'm a big believer in talent that just underproduced for for some reason. Tell us about everything that's going on with you, NBC. Tell us about your book and, and where uh, where fans can, can get all your content. Well, they can just, uh, you know, we're, we're having a lot of fun over at NBC. So I do a, uh, I do a daily show that will be weekly now in the offseason for Peacock called Fantasy Football Happy Hour with Matthew Barry. You can catch episodes on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts. So uh, that's, that's pretty exciting as well. And then, um, you know, mostly this summer I'm going to be – studying players and spending some time with the family getting ready for the season awesome matthew berry thank you so much for your time really appreciate it my pleasure i really appreciate matthew berry taking the time and it's nice to have a a jaguars team that is absolutely fantasy relevant at a number of spots because you could see obviously etn could be a first round pick trevor lawrence could be a top five quarterback selected uh and then it's interesting the dynamic at receiver with Christian Kirk and Calvin Ridley, which ones will go first? How high will they go? Zay Jones obviously gives you some good value, and then Evan Ingram, obviously. Uh, at tight end will be a very solid uh, guy there. By the way, uh, so I appreciate Matthew Berry's time. By the way, uh, Gervon Dexter for Florida just ran a five-flat 40 at 310 pounds. How about that? That might, Those are traits. That might be what starts to push him. Uh, a guy that you rarely see turn up uh, in a in a mock draft first round, although there have been a couple that have them in there. Uh, again, to show that kind of movement ability at 310, uh, Dexter absolutely will uh, made some money with that run. How about that? How about that? That's good stuff. Isn't it ironic how in the NFL draft, running backs aren't usually selected in the first round anymore? But as far as fantasy drafts, running backs are crucial. Oh, yeah. Well, it's scarcity. It's, fantasy football is an it's, it's, it's exciting version of, like, the economy. You know, and there just isn't much, you know, <laughs> running backs are just scarce. So if you can find one, like ETN, that you know is going to get such volume of work, uh, it's, it's hard to, to not – select them high and uh there just there just aren't that many running backs that you can count on anymore to get a lot of work because teams have just 
de-emphasized them. So, uh, yeah, it's kind of funny how it all works. By yeah. the way, also, uh, Brian Breesey from Clemson, who I know uh, we got to listen to a little bit yesterday, 6'5", 298 pounds, ran a 4.93. He's a good yeah. player. So now. you know he, he was already going in the first round. He's maybe climbing up a little bit. I yeah, told he'll, you. he'll be a top 20 pick. Yeah, yeah, I told you guys this story the other day when I did the Clemson-Georgia Tech game to start the season and didn't know who he was. Called that name a bunch. I mean, he was he was he dominated that game. I mean, he and he and it was Georgia Tech, but he dominated the game. So he's, I think he's a very very good player. All right, we, we're going to talk about players. The workouts have begun. Defensive lineman. You already heard some of the times, both from Breesy and uh, from Gar, um, Gervon Dexter. When we come back, though, I want to talk a little bit about the defensive backs who are here. Uh, Hayes was tracking down. Hayes was grinding, working hard, and he was tracking down some of the uh, DBs. What they had to say. Uh, we caught up with. Uh, you caught up with some. Uh, Former Knowles and Gators, as a matter of fact. That's next, so stay with us. Bob Dylan today on Old Rock Thursday, live from Indianapolis at the NFL Scouting Combine. We were talking about who to use for Old Rock Thursday. Hey, said earlier, don't you usually do Mellencamp when it's Indiana-related? Yeah, we do them about every 10 days. <laughs> <laughs> Mellencamp, Mellencamp will not be touched as uh, Old Rock yeah, Thursday. The leader. The leader of all time. The leader for all time. Uh, Old Rock Thursday, uh, Mellencamp. Hey, uh, the defensive backs met with the media today. The DL, the defensive linemen are running, but they met the media yesterday. Uh, today, the DBs met all, And you caught up with some guys. Uh, before we get to specifics, good group, right? A good group, of really DBs. good group, really impressive, uh, and uh, and it was it was really they all had different qualities, you know, and uh, th- that's what I liked about them. You you kind of got a sense of uh, their personalities as well. Um, so I it, it it's it's a good group, I think, on the field, and and it seems like it, at least at the top, a very good group uh, off of it as well in terms of being very. Uh, insightful and uh you know and, and open and it was a lot of fun let's get to some of the guys you were able to catch up with i know you talked to jamie robinson uh the former florida state defensive back the only knoll here by the way <laughs> about uh, about what the knolls have uh what the knolls are going to be like uh, moving forward bringing florida state back and how much pride do you take in that honestly i can say just being able to form a brotherhood and be be more of a vocal leader like i had I was scheduling meetings at home, you know, inviting the guys over, watching film and stuff like that. The small things, that's what really mattered. And I feel like, you know, we took strides and, you know, we, we started off we started off good and then we ended up losing three games in a row. But we was we did that the prior year. We went like 0-5, or 4 So we was already, we knew what it, what it had to take. You know, it was there before. So we just rallied the troops together. You know, it was more it was more player-led. You know, the coaches didn't have to held meetings. We, hold, we held our own meetings and stuff like that and it just you know it brought us together closer that's what honestly i can say like the brotherhood you know being able to count on each other there's so much talent going back there are you excited to see what they can do this national championship that's the only expectations i have for them for sure thanks jamie it was really uh interesting hearing jamie also talk about uh his kind of family life and and things that not so much he's overcome but just uh you know hearing him talk about he had a, a brother that uh, passed away about 10 years ago. He had another brother that's been incarcerated for a decade that's, that just got released. He has another brother that has eight children. Uh, just uh, but talked about, you know, how tight they are. And, and it, w- it was really interesting hearing his journey from, uh, you know, the prep level through uh, obviously having an outstanding finish to his. He was a transfer, uh, but uh, outstanding finish to his career at Florida State. And obviously, uh, to hear things like we wondered how could Florida State, you know, what turned it around to hear him talk about 
player-led, driven things, meetings, things away from the coaches, that's that's what it takes to be a great team. Is You can't rely on the coaches to, to guide you there. The players have to direct it, and it, it's clear that, that Robinson was a big part of that. I read that the 49ers were one of the many teams that met with Jamie Robinson, and it's interesting because – Tashawn Gibson is their safety, and he may retire, may not. And so that's certainly a, a guy that they have interest in. I certainly think he'd be a great fit on that team. That was the former Noel. Rashad Torrance is the former Gator. He starts by talking about the difference between the two coaches, Dan Mullen and Billy Napier. Brought two different approaches, but both were great in, in, in their own aspect. I feel like Coach Mullen, uh, Coach Mullen brought a great great seriousness to the game and something that I greatly appreciate and kind of taught me to mature. With Coach Napier coming in, he gave us the, the family aspect and just kind of knowing your teammates, kind of get to understand them at a deeper level. What was it like having that new facility this past year? Uh, it's been great, honestly, just being able to uh, move from one, the old facility to the new and getting new um, a weight room, new weight room, new uh, training facility, just some of the things that we kind of got in there, uh, new food kitchen, those type of things have been great. You guys played a really tough schedule, uh, but do you get a sense that moving forward that Billy's the right guy and that he'll get Florida back to contending for titles? I feel like Coach, Coach Napier has a great intent in terms of having the team and, and at his best potential and, and leading them to uh, a good season next year. It was interesting hearing Rashad talk about Mullen and Napier, and this is a discussion for we'll talk about all summer. But he talks with Mullen about kind of scheme, more scheme, you know, things like that, uh, you know, pre precision on the field. With Napier, it was more family recruiting, and it's it really is two sides. And uh, you know, we'll see if uh, you know Mullen. I don't know how much family there really was with Mullen's program, but there certainly was a high level of football acumen. Uh, with Billy Napier, he still kind of has to prove that in Gainesville, but the family and the recruiting component is obviously very strong. Yeah, I think one thing that will hurt Torrance here at the Combine is the lack of speed. Obviously, that's what is a main focus uh, on defensive backs, and so that's the one area that I think uh, might, might hurt him a little bit. Yeah. I always feel bad, too, when he was at the table, mm -hmm. a, t a table, uh, but so how this works is they'll bring in like 12 guys at the same time. Right. And there's basically nine guys that go to big podiums, uh, you know, for the scrums that they're expecting. You know, it, it, it allows for 70 reporters to sort of gather around if this player uh, draws that kind of interest. And then you have like these three tables kind of off to the side for prospects that they know are here, but they're just not going to generate, you know, they're not – they're, they're going to be late-round picks if they're picked at all. And so uh, it, it, it's, it's cool to be here, but it, it does make you wonder if it gives a player like Torrance. Ventrell Miller was at a table yesterday, not a podium. If, uh, if it gives him a little bit of a, a chip on their shoulder, because it, it'd be a little, I think, humbling if you sat down and or they directed you. These guys have no idea how it works. Right. And you're directed to basically a table, but you're looking down this huge convention center and you see nine other players at podiums with uh, much more, much more interest. Jamie was at a podium. Jamie was at a podium. Okay. Uh, Trey Dean was at a podium. Okay. Um, I'm trying to think in terms. I mean, the guys that have been at tables, I haven't. I, other than the Gator, the Ventrell and Rashad, I didn't even recognize the names. I mean, they were not to say they weren't at, you know, they weren't really in in Southern schools, but but not big schools, and and certainly players that again probably are hoping to just get drafted 
Um, obviously, a lot of the guys here, you know, won't. There's there's too many guys here at the combine. There's more guys at the combine than there are draft selections. And your point about um, Napier Mullen—that's a really good take because um, you said it. He said it. Coach um, Mullen was serious and blah blah blah, and and, and Torrance and uh, Coach Napier talks about family, blah blah blah. Well, the bottom line is Mullen is probably a better X's and O's coach than Billy Napier. Billy Napier is probably a far better culture creator than Dan Mullen, and now we'll see which worked. You know, I mean, say what you want about Dan Mullen, but he had him close. He had him very close in a very short time. He just didn't build enough a good enough roster to stick around, so it's an interesting take. One other guy that uh, I know you caught up with was Clark Phillips, the former Utah defensive back. Yeah, he's a, he's a player that when Utah came to the Swamp, Clark Phillips was being discussed as a potential top 15 pick in this draft. He's still his stock is still strong. He's 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 going to go probably early second round. Hoping he reaches the Jaguars in the 50s is is probably not going to happen. Although it's a deep year at corner, so perhaps it could. Uh, but uh, but yeah, I wanted to ask him about Anthony Richardson because we all have heard these polarizing. You know, some people love Richardson, some people don't love Richardson. So I thought it'd be kind of, and that was Richardson's arguably his best game of his college career. It probably was. Um, so I thought it'd be interesting. Uh, to talk to Clark about him because he played against Caleb Williams twice. Right, I mean, right. Utah played a, a really difficult schedule. They play in an offensive league. Penix is in that league. Uh, to get his thoughts on that, and also Devin Lloyd, who you know we all obviously are excited is it's a Jaguar, and uh, get his thoughts on on playing with Devin Lloyd. Here's that conversation Hayes with Clark Phillips. Clark, what were your impressions of Anthony Richardson? Great player, super athletic. Um, he has you know a crazy good arm. Um, I'm mad that we lost that game still, but uh, now he's a great player. Are you uh, still close with Devin Lloyd? Yeah, most definitely. What was it like playing with him? Great leader. He's a great leader. He was one, a guy that I kind of, you know, modeled my leadership after and uh, just modeled the way that I present to other players on the football team as well. Uh, just a guy that came in and did everything right. He's a dude that you're going to see up there at 11 p.m., at 6 a.m., the, the first guy and last guy out, and he modeled how to be a good leader, how to be a good football player, and how to be consistent. It, it was really cool to hear Clark talk about Devin Lloyd because he said even after that ended, uh, he, he went on to talk about uh, Devin is, is sort of who he models himself after in terms of his preparation for the game being a leader and things like that. Really cool to hear that about Devin Lloyd, who, again, I still think is going to have an outstanding career for the Jaguars. It'll be interesting to see how these defensive backs all play. Did you see Trey Dean interviewed at all? You said he was back there? He, yeah, Trey Dean had – I spent a lot of time with Jamie Robinson because right. I, I really wanted to – he had a fan – I was kind of hooked in for, uh, by his story, and, and, and he had a lot of interest. So you're, you're kind of fighting – yeah. 25, 30 other reporters to get your questions in. So I was like, I'm not leaving here until right. I get my questions. To he's the only FSU guy here, right. uh, so I want to make sure that that we uh, that we we talk to him. And uh, so by the time I I was done with Robinson, Dean was just wrapping up. So I just heard a little bit of of Trey Dean. I, I would say from what I saw, I would say fairly tepid interest uh, for Trey Dean. And again, he's I think he's supposed to have a, a big time workout. Uh, that's the expectation, um, and again, that's where he'll be a trades versus production guy because obviously, probably, uh, or certainly at times, struggled as a player at Florida, but uh, but has you know has good athleticism, you know, good strength for that position. You know, Lauren, Trey Dean's interesting. He's six three. He's going to measure six three, two ten, two fifteen, two o five. I think somewhere in there. He's fast. He's physical. 
but he never turned out to be a great player at Florida. I, I kept we all kept waiting, didn't we? We kept waiting for it to happen for Trey Dean, and it really never did. Yeah, it, I think it's surprising in a sense, but at the same time, when I stop and think about it, it's like, well, he did have multiple defensive coordinators, and yeah, and right. the defense overall was just so bad at times that sometimes I think it, you can look worse just because maybe the player next to you isn't doing what he's supposed to be doing. And, and so I, I don't know that I can blame him. I, I think he's a guy that will be a pretty good football player in the NFL. Interesting stuff. Interesting stuff with Trey Dean. I'll be interested to see uh, how he turns out. Again, we told, gave you the numbers yesterday. If you didn't hear us, Florida has nine players here. FSU has one, and FSU had the better team, which is unnerving if you're a Florida fan because that means they're bringing back most of their players. I mean, a team that has one player at the combine, a power five team, means either A, you had a bunch of seniors who just weren't very good, or B, you got a lot of guys coming back. I mean, that I, I would be so encouraged if I'm a Florida State fan by the fact that I only have one guy here. No doubt about it. Look, they could have 14 guys here next right. year. Uh, and and you could tell it in Jamie Robinson. I mean, again, he, he didn't bat an eye. He said national championship. And look, none of the reporters that were gathered even remotely, you know, there was not a single – even many scoff at that. Right. So I, I think I think the nation's uh, woken up on uh, how good FSU has, you know, potentially could be this coming season. And, uh, yeah, it's uh, he was the only one this year. My guess is it's going to be a long time before FSU only has one player at the Combine again. Yeah, I certainly think so, too. And, and Mike Norvell, I think, is still building steam, which is which is crazy how far he's come in just a year we talk about it with the Jaguars all the time we don't spend I guess quite as much time talking about FSU but in just a short year Mike Norvell went from one of the coaches on the you know biggest hot seat to a team that could be potentially in the college football playoff that's wild yeah it, it really is wild and again uh, those numbers we had for you the other day pretty hard to believe Georgia has 12 players here I say this all the time Georgia two years ago won the national title and the whole team went to the NFL, and then he won it again. And now 12 guys are here, which means 13 or 14 could go to the NFL or get drafted. And if you count undrafted free agents, 17 or 18 could wind up in the league, and they might win the damn thing again. Isn't that amazing? It's incredible. I mean, again, this is what happens when you stack elite recruiting classes on top of each other. Alabama's done it for – forever and georgia i think georgia clemson won two um but clemson won two because they they went back to back on incredible collegiate quarterbacks uh in deshaun watson and trevor lawrence and perhaps incredible nfl quarterbacks i think trevor's well on his way deshaun watson's had moments we'll see if he can uh you know get some momentum get some footing in cleveland um georgia hasn't done it that way georgia's had good quarterback play but georgia's done just done it by just killing you in the trenches, having five-star corners and safeties and linebackers everywhere, having just uh, dominant tight end play. Uh, you know, again, they won their their first national title without really having George Pickens, right. who I think, if he was healthy, would have been a sensational collegiate player. Yeah, pretty amazing stuff. No question about that. So more talk about that coming up as we continue on. All right, we're going to get it to the NFL, the the actual league for a while. Kansas City is a dominant team. Kansas City has their second title, and it looks like more are coming. 
The one good thing about Kansas City winning, maybe the only, is my friend Joe Cullen got a ring. Joe Cullen is the former defensive coordinator a year ago with, with Jacksonville. Didn't work out under Urban. Uh, none of those players, none of those coaches, not none of the coaches, but some of those coaches, many were not retained. Joe had a chance to be retained as a line coach, but they were not retaining him as a defensive coordinator. And so he uh, he was uh, sought after by many as a line coach. He picked an awfully good team, the Kansas City Chiefs, and they won the uh, Super Bowl. We'll take a break. When we come back, Joe's going to stop by and talk all about what it was like winning that Super Bowl and uh, his thoughts on the Jags and a whole lot more. Joe Cullen joins us after this. Stay with us. Welcome back to the uh, Combine here in Indianapolis and one of my dear friends in the business, my buddy Joe Cullen, the uh, Super Bowl-winning defensive line coach of the Kansas City Chiefs. How you doing, man? Great, Frank, and great to be on the air, and I uh, appreciate you having me on. We miss you in Jacksonville, but I'm glad you got a ring. That had to be some experience, man. No, yeah. We, we, my family and I, we love Jacksonville. In fact, we still have our home down there in Ponte Vedra, but the opportunity that, you know, with, with not knowing, having the opportunity to go with Coach Reed and the yeah. Kansas City Chiefs, Patrick Mahomes, Chris Jones, Steve Spagnuolo was too good to pass up and knew we'd have an opportunity to at least play for the Super Bowl and have a fighting chance. And then with the, the way the season went, just excited the way it all unfolded. Yeah, Chris Jones' good play is all because of good defensive line coaching, right? <laughs> is, is that what that is? I say this, Frank, and, and people have asked me. I can't coach what Chris has, but <laughs> I tell you, he's a guy that really bought into what we were trying to teach and just uh, – came to work every day he never missed a practice there, there was one death in the family he had to go to a funeral his aunt had passed away and he, and he went on a friday but other than that he never missed a rep in practice never missed a training camp practice and um just was he was on a mission is he one of the best you've ever coached i mean he, i mean right i mean he's 15 sacks from a down line yeah absolutely i've had some good ones over the over the years terrell suggs and yeah you know i've had Joe McCoy, Aaron, Aaron Campman at the end of his career, but yeah. he's, he's, he's the best uh, player I've ever coached. What's it like going against Patrick Mahomes in practice every day? God <laughs> almighty. People have asked me that. Every day in practice, you know, especially in training camp and in the offseason when you're working against a one offense, there's, you know, Spags will slow the projecting down and, and the, the, the film and say, I mean, how do, you, how do you stop that? What are we supposed to do? I mean, he just gets out of trouble. Yeah. He just... Backhanded passes, flips, no look, whatever you want to call it. Uh, he can just get out. Of, he, he's a magician out there. What's Andy Reid like? Doug Peterson and I have gotten to be pretty good buddies, and he really likes him. What's Andy like? Well, first of all, he's a, there's nobody better. He's a, he's a Hall of Fame coach. I mean, look at his track record in Philadelphia and then obviously now in Kansas City, but he's, he's the same guy every day. He's the same guy every day, whether you win, lose, win by 20, lose by 20. He's the same guy. He's steady. Yeah, he, he's just, he's just the uh, he's the rock of the of, of the whole organization. Joe, so what was it like the whole Super Bowl, the week, the, the leading and the nerves? I mean, all it's the Super Bowl for God's sake. I mean, what was it? What was it like? And you're defending you you and Spags and your staff is defending Jalen Hurts and a damn good offense too. Well, you know, <clears throat> getting in the game, you know, having getting through. Obviously, Jacksonville was a tough right. game, and the division round, then Cincinnati, who had. Beating, beating us three straight times, and it was like getting through that. And then it was like, okay, we're on to the Super Bowl. And then looking at what Philadelphia had done all year, um, it was one of those things where we just tried to, try to do what we did well uh, as a team. Yeah. Nothing changed. And then basically trying to slow their run game down, and we were able to do that. And uh, Jalen had still had a heck of a game, but 
were able to make some stops when we had to make stops. And, you know, in the second half, we kind of flipped the script. We ran the ball on them. We stopped the run, made the big stop. And offensively, we just, we just did a great job as well. When you beat Cincinnati, the most important question I'll ask you is, did at any point you talk any smack to Duffner? Did you, did, you, did you send a smack, at least a smack text? Did not. Did no, not, not one. You know, you're, too, I, you're too nice a guy. No, we're, we're dear friends, and as you know, you, you know Duff well. And, uh, Just saw Duff the other day. Yeah, there was, there was no – it was one of those games where it came down to the last drive, and whoever had the ball last and whoever made the last stop, we were fortunate. We got a sack. Chris made the sack on Burrow, and then, you know, Patrick couldn't, couldn't run, but yet he found a way to, to yeah. run and get the first down, and then – Kicked the field goal and, and won the game. And the hit, the late hit helped. The late, late hit, hit helped. The late hit helped a and little. It was bit. a late hit. Yeah, well, there's no question. It was it a late, was a late it, hit. It was a late hit. Did uh, if you taught you had to taught the Duff though. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. He's your guy. Yeah, we, we we talked right after the game. Wished us well and yeah. wished them a great year. And then uh, talked after the Super Bowl. Duff went to the Super Bowl yeah, last yeah. year, and I had never been, and Duff had never been. Right. Duff was a play away from winning it. I know. And then obviously being back in the AFC Championship game, and then. You know, it's like when you get in that game, Frank, there's no way you want to lose it. And uh, when that when that friends of mine that have been in the game said, when there's nothing like it when you win, Yeah. and especially when that last second ticks off the clock. Joe Cullen with us, the former Jags defensive coordinator a year, a couple years ago, and now the defensive line coach for the uh, Kansas City Chiefs. The target's on your chest. I mean, you guys, you're the Chiefs. You're, you're Mahomes and Andy Reid. And, I mean, what's that like? I mean, you're, you're on top of the top of the mountain, and you know that, though. Well, no, go, going in, you're going to get the best of everybody every week. Yeah. So you look at the last five years, been in the AFC Championship game, third Super Bowl in four years, yeah. one and two. So every week you get the opponent's best. It's their big game. You're going to get their best. And, uh, and our players obviously know that. And uh, you just grind. It's a grind every week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's talk about Jacksonville a little bit. You were able to keep up as best you could. I mean, you're coaching in the league, so you can't watch football like the, like the rest of the folks can. But what was your impression of the Jaguars? You saw them obviously twice this year. What was your impression of this team? Well, we, we played them twice. Yeah. And obviously some common opponents in there. And they, you know, it was one of those, one of those years where, uh, you know, the new staff, they were able to, Trevor did a lot of great things as, as, as the, First time we played him, it was still a tight game, one by yeah. ten. And I think at that point, Frank, they were two and seven. Yeah, that's right. After that game, and they had a bye. Um, Maybe three and, then, and seven. Yeah, three and seven. Yeah, yeah three they were three and seven. So yeah, because they had just beaten the Raiders. Right. Uh, they were three and seven, and uh, just had the bye. And and then you saw things starting to come together. I mean, offensively, they had a lot of guys really step up. Trevor really stepped up. Had a phenomenal year for his second year. And they started get, they started making plays on defense, and then they get they get to be a, a team that you didn't really want to face yeah. <laughs> at that time of year. And obviously, the game against uh, the Chargers was uh, one for the ages. I mean, they, they were out of the game. Right. Game right. over. And then, sure enough, they scored on every possession, made stops on every possession, and they did a great job. Coach Peterson, proven proven track record, Super Bowl winning coach. I mean, understudy of Coach Reed, played for Coach Reed, coach for Coach Reed. Yeah. And it was only a matter of time. You know, you let your draft picks and you get, the, you get the people in there and you started making a few changes on offense. You, you know, ETN was a guy that, that uh, when I was here, we drafted, but he got hurt in August. Right, never got to play, yep. You know, Ingram came in, did a phenomenal job. Kirk came in, did a great job. So they got some, some playmakers on offense. When you look back now, you're at a good place. You got a Super Bowl, and who knows how many more. Uh, the Jags are at a good place. 
Uh, it, it was it was a great year too, Joe, and it was a lot of people that you know very well that I know very well that that, that deserve some, some some good shot. Deserve good. I know I know how much you like shot. He deserved it. Oh, a- absolutely. In fact, I you know I ran into Tony yeah. after our game in the in the hallway of my wife and big hug and i've known tony a long time since yeah. since i was at illinois with coach zook your yeah. dear friend that's right and uh, and then shot i mean it, it, it i was great for shot and, and the team and the city guys like yourself jeff Lagerman, tony baselli yeah. all those guys that that deserve to have something good happen and, and you know what it's only going to continue Having said all that, how hard was that year? How hard was that year for you? I mean, you're Joe. You're a football coach, and you're a, a, a foot. You're a, you're a ball coaching dude. Well, how hard was that year? Well, you know, going in, okay, we were coming off a year. The prior prior year, one in fifteen. So it was like, okay, what are we going to do to to improve? How can we get better? Yeah. And uh, it was a tough year. We had some moments in there. Uh, had some injuries. Uh, but it was tough. It was a grind. And I'll tell you what was great about that year is the way the guys finished when we beat the Colts to keep them out of the playoffs, yeah. dominated them on defense. Trevor had his best game of the year. We had our moments beating Buffalo 9-6. to Still think it's the lowest points they've had in a long time. Uh, but it was a tough year. And, and But you, know, you go through those years. Yeah. And when you go through those years, you appreciate the ones that I just went through. And the, and, the, and the guys on the Jaguar team now. Were there frustrations for you? Because I thought, given what you were playing, I'm not saying this because you're sitting here. You and I talk a lot offline. Given what you were playing with, I thought the defense held its own that year, and yet it was still a really hard year. Uh, was that frustrating for that reason? Well, you know, you, you can only do what, what your, your, your players can do. And, and, yeah. and the thing about that, Frank, is like, when you're a defensive coach, you can't control what the offense does. You can't control what especially special teams does. Yeah. You can only control what your guy is doing. You try to do the best that you can. Right. And, uh, yeah, we won in a few more. You look at that, that year, Cincinnati game, 23-20, last second field goal. Right. We had the ball in the one before the half. It's going to be 21-0. They right. stopped us on four straight on the half-inch line. I remember. So, you know, there's some games like that. Okay, we, we go to London. We, we kicked a, a field goal there that, that – uh, Right before, I mean, bang, bang, play. We stop them. We get the ball. Last second, spike it, kick the field goal, win that one. And then you look at some games we lost that year, so the Jets game. You know, we didn't play a particularly great team game, but, well, is the ball over? Maybe yeah, it is. Yeah, okay, yeah. everyone says that was the touchdown. They didn't rule it. Yeah. You look at that. You look at the other, you know, the first indie game. You know, there were some games in there I thought we could have won, right. could have, should have, would have. But now you're looking at maybe six wins. Yeah. And uh, we knew it was going to be a rough year going in. But uh, I just think sometimes the, the ball doesn't bounce your way. Maybe certain injuries, the way things went, you know, in terms of the year, mm-hmm. there was some frustration. But, no, I, I don't regret anything about that year in Jacksonville. Joe, is it your goal to be a coordinator again? Is that the plan? Do you, right now you just keep coaching your really good football team, right? No, exactly right. I mean, there was opportunities possibly to interview, but, you know, you're in a playoff hunt and you're, and you're coaching your guys. I just love love being the defensive line coach right now with the Chiefs. And someday that, that possibly could happen, and I'd be excited to do that again. In the meantime, you live in Sawgrass at least, some, at least part of the year, right? So how does that work? How long do you get to come home to, to, to where we are? Well, you know, I know my wife's already said that <laughs> when the girls are out of school, she'll be down there. <laughs> She's and I'll, I'll be coming. I'll be coming after. At least, you know, 
summertime, the whole summer when we're off, and then when you have vacations. But no, that's that's a great place, and we're going to keep keep our residents down there. Joe, congratulations on the Super. You're a class guy and a damn good football coach, and I was really happy for you. I wasn't happy for you when you beat us twice, but once those moved on, I was really happy for you. No, thank you, Frank, and thanks for having me on. Uh, Joe Cullen, the defensive line coach of the Kansas City Chiefs, former coordinator of the Jags. Back in a moment from Indianapolis on 1010XL and 92.5 FM. Time for all things Jaguars and NFL with Pete Prisco. The Prisco Report, presented by Showtime Sports Cards and Collectibles. Showtime. On the Frangie Show. We thank our friends from Showtime for sponsoring the Pete Prisco Report every week. Pete Prisco is from CBSSports.com and the mayor of Prime 47, although the mayor wasn't in there last night. No, I had another place I went to, and it, I was pretty much the mayor of that place. Were you? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's funny. You bump into guys like uh, I hadn't, Gerald Alexander. Remember, he played yeah, for Jacksonville. Yeah, yeah. He's now coaching in Pittsburgh, and I hadn't seen him in a while. And he, there he is, yeah, right there. Right you bump into guys. Uh, what, uh, what, what is your role here, Pete? Do you guys are on, on – on, on, and I want to tell people, it's CBS – Sports HQ. Sports HQ. That's what it is. It's HQ. That's digitally on Paramount Plus. Yeah. And then on, from 3 to 4.30, we're on uh, CBS Sports Network every okay. day. Oh, you are it's on called the network. Spotlight. Okay. On C- CBS Sports HQ Spotlight, and it's on the network from 3 to 4.30. Okay. And they replay it, actually, from 4.30 to 6. Okay, so you're on both. You're, yeah. You're on the network. Yeah. So, uh, all right. Impressions, early impressions here. Who you talk to? Well, I mean, Jalen Carter's story is interesting. That's I mean, the story, it's, I and he's back. I know he came back. Today. He came back, and I give, that means he went home and found out pretty good news. I would think. Well, he got he got he got on, he was on bond and out five minutes later. Yeah, yeah. they booked so, him and they booked him and then he bonded out like literally in five minutes. Again, if it stays a misdemeanor, um, it's a tragic story, and you oh you think about the two people who died, so you should have been doing it obviously. But if it stays a misdemeanor from a football standpoint, I don't know how much it hurts him. To be honest with you, if it goes. Higher than that, then you got a major problem. You were talking uh, about uh, Tyree Wilson and his traits. Uh, he he obviously met with reporters yesterday. It's going to work out well. You know, the the workout is today. Yeah, uh, he's not working he, out because he has a foot, but, bad foot. Uh, but Wilson, are you? I love him. Picking up on. I love he's him. A rare I mean, player? he's that's. <laughs> you know what? We talk about Jacksonville's pass rush. If they could find a way to finagle that guy in there, they can't because he's going to go way higher than that. It'd be great for him because he's. Six foot six, two hundred and seventy-five pounds, and there's not a lot of big guys like that who can rush the passer, and he can rush the passer. He's got the ability to do that. So I think if he was healthy, uh, there's a chance he could go in the top four or five, and it, it still might because he's that good. All right, how do the quarterbacks go? Who goes where? You know, I, somehow, some way, Houston's going to get. I think Houston's going to panic because going to think somebody's going to come behind him. They're going to give up something and move up and take one and get Bryce Young. I think that's what they're going to do. Then Indy's got to take a quarterback they have to uh maybe they take levis or stroud and then you get to carolina who also has to take a quarterback and that's where the other one will go and then you got to see what the richardson factor is and and you guys watch florida a lot more than i do and a lot closer than i do i watch them but you guys study them i've gone back and watched his tape there are a lot of things to love about him, but there's a lot of things to hate about his game. He's inconsistent as hell. Yeah, here, here, and look, I'll say, you got to take a stand one way or the other. I'm really rooting for the kid because everybody says he's awesome, just an awesome dude, and he's a Gator. I don't think he's going to be a great NFL quarterback. I think the inaccurate passing is going to – that's my opinion, Pete, is that the inaccurate passing is going to keep him from reaching the potential they want him to. Now, look, the game's changed a bunch. Uh, you can be a good, not great passer and great runner and dynamic playmaker like Lamar Jackson, but they don't f- 
there's not a lot of Lamar Jacksons, right? But I, but I'm just my opinion, Pete. Uh, you've watched enough. What what is your opinion? You you you. you and he's you're, not a, he's a not, stand guy. What yeah, do you think? I, I mean, I'll be honest with you. I watched them all all year. Yeah. I thought no way. When I watched the tape, I thought, you know what? After watching what the Eagles have done with Jalen Hurts, yeah. I'm not so sure. It's not again. It's not conventional like we're used to. Yeah. They get you got to create the offense for him. He's not elusive as a runner, but boy, when yeah. he goes, he's big and strong yeah. and he can go. Oh, he's a great runner. Yeah. But he's not, you know, Lamar no, Jackson, right, Lucifer. Right. Or, or, I, I don't know. He's in, there's something intriguing about him. There's a lot to hate about his game as well. Uh, let me ask you this to Lauren's question. Okay, we know by now we know the narrative of the four guys. Bryce Young's fantastic, but tiny. Um, Anthony Richardson's got the great traits, but he's been erratic. Will Levis kind of has good traits, has been erratic, and C.J. Stroud, who I think's really good. But people say, well, his receivers are so much better that they're always open. That's the narrative on the four. Do you buy all of it? Do you do you think someone's overrated, underrated, unfairly judged? What do you think? Yeah, I I think Levis has gotten a hard rank, ranking to go back down again because, and again, the reason why, some and I haven't verified this, but somebody told me that he took needles for, for his shoulder five different games, the foot. He was really hurt. All and played through it. Yeah, and, and that and his team was terrible. You yeah. know, and the. Yeah. It, it, they had been pretty good, but yeah. the offensive line was awful. They had no receivers That's last right. year, right. and so I think that kind of contributed to him playing because there's been game. There were games where he was bad, yeah. but you go back and look at 2021, and he was good in a lot of games. So I think he's the guy that's kind of getting undersold a little bit. Um, I think Bryce Young is getting oversold a little bit because again, you know, everybody's wait, waiting now today. Oh, when's he going to weigh in? What's his weight going to be? If he's five foot nine and a half, five foot ten and a half, and he's uh, 190 pounds, I've talked to at least 15 guys here that said I don't think he can hold up in the league at that weight, playing at that style. So it's it's concerning. And boy, he's, if he was two inches taller and 20 pounds heavier, he'd be a surefire number one. Player. I mean, he'd be so good. Yeah, so good, no doubt about it. Do you get a sense? It feels like. Traits and on-field production were always kind of a 50-50 split. We saw Trayvon Walker go last year, number one. That's a traits pick all the way. If Richardson were to go one this year, uh, are we entering an age where these general managers, these decision makers, where traits, it's now 80% traits, 20% on-field production? I'd be astounded if he went number one. And I know there's talk of that out there. I mean, that's a hard sell. What do you, what, if you're the team picking number one, and let's just say it's Houston, okay, now, the Texans are going to run the 49ers offense, so they're going to make it easy on whoever plays quarterback in that offense because they hired the guy Slowick away from the 49ers, so they're going to run the ball, zone run, make it easy, get the boots and everything. So it might be easy on him, and that might be a good situation for him. But, again, I go back to what you said, Frank, about the erratic play and the easy. you got to hit the layups. you got to hit those. Every time. And he doesn't hit them all the time, and that's the concern with him. But he hasn't played a lot of football right. either. That's right. That's right. Pete, what do you think about Hendon Hooker, kind of a guy that's going under the radar because of the injury? Yeah, the injury hurts him. He's also 25, and, and you know, that's – you. I know quarterbacks play to 40 now, and some guys play to 45, as we've <laughs> seen, but that's that's old for a quarterback. I think if he was healthy and a little bit younger, I think he'd be in the first-round conversation. I Somebody's going to get a good player. Somebody, that kid can play quarterback. Somebody's going to get a good player in the second, third round. Pete Prisco with us. Pete, there's conversation that uh, that the combine is going to move – that now not every team's showing up and the league's concerned about that. Do you like the combine the way it is? Do you probably like it here? What's the future of it? Is it going to move around? What, what do you think? You know, they get so drawn to the big market, you yeah. know, and, and, and L.A. is sitting out there with that stadium. And I think Vegas, Vegas would probably be a good place to have the combine. Everything's like this. Everything's yeah. right here. 
Uh, do I like the combine? I, I don't. I'm not a big fan of the combine for what goes on out there in the workouts and and all that because I just think you can get too paralyzed by it. If the tape says the guy can play, then he can play. I, yeah, if a guy you, you think a guy plays fast and he goes out there and he runs four nine, then you're concerned. You go back and you go double check your stuff. But I, I think from a medical standpoint, this place is perfect for it. It's a great place from a. a community standpoint it's a fantastic place for it everybody together. sees everybody yeah, right, right. and then you know so i i do and i'm concerned that guys are going to start opting out and you know what the nba has a combine you know in chicago guys go play the stars don't go no, don't they go don't take they don't take medicals before they're they don't take physicals you know the nfl has to so at some point when does somebody here say hey i'm not doing that you draft me or you don't draft me the play, well, you know, the players have the power now. The players have. The, 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 when you think about it, if Caleb Williams says I'm not playing next year, I'm not playing at USC. He's not going to play. What position does he go? Still goes first overall next year. If Marvin Marvin Harrison Jr. doesn't play next year, he goes top five. So the players have kind of switched it over. They have the power because, and they're starting to realize that. that's why NAL money is big now in college football. I was talking to a guy last night. He was telling me. An offensive lineman transferred to Miami to get half a million dollars in NIL money. Are you kidding? I think it's a kid from Alabama. The guard from Alabama transferred to Miami. Half a million dollars. The money's crazy. It's unbelievable. Do you think in terms of the Jaguars, we've seen the the defenders now uh, these last two days meet with the media. Do you think there's a chance that they go defense at 24, maybe with edge rush or corner, and then flip it and go defense again in the second round? I, I, what are they going to do on offense? Ingram's coming back. That's great. You know, one way or the other, he was coming back. They either tag him or they sign him. Correct. What do you do with Jerron Taylor? That's another question. So if for some reason both those guys come back, you need a big back somewhere. You get them in the fourth round or something, physical back, somebody who can bang. Then you use everything on that side of the ball, because I think your offense is set. Then you have a really you might you know unless you're sitting there at 24 and there's another tight end there. Because remember, if you tag Ingram, he's only on a one-year deal. Not only that, you'd like another big physical tight end who can block. So maybe like if Mayer was sitting there from Notre Dame, somebody like that, I think he would be a guy who would track you. Then you got to go corner, pass rush, corner, pass rush. I don't think you're solving your pass rush in this draft. Pete, you talked to a ton of people. I want some scuttlebutt. Give me some good scuttlebutt from this year's Love combine. scuttlebutt. Boy, I'm trying to think off the top of my head. Scuttlebutt. <laughs> Will Anderson is overrated. How about that? Okay. There He's, are people out there saying that. And but, you know, and maybe I'm just the biggest idiot in town, but, boy, I don't think so. I had I, I, two I, different guys tell me they they don't see him being the ooh, player that he is. And, and, and here's why. He's 6'4 and 235. He's not 255. Right. So he, where does he play? He's going to have to probably play with his standing up as a rush linebacker. He doesn't have that Derek Thomas, Von Miller, um, Bosa, the explosive first step. The guy, those guys, like for example, Josh Allen and Trayvon Walker don't have that either. They're good football players, right, but they don't have that. The guy you can look at and you go, okay, he's going to bend. He's going to go around a tackle. He's going to knock the ball out, and he's going to get a fumble late in the game. Th- that, that's not what I see. I don't see it either in uh, in uh, Boy, I think he's a. I just think he's a good player. He's I a mean, good player. He's good at football, man. He, yeah. I mean, he's tra- he just strikes me as the guy that is really, really good at football. But he's not Derek Thomas and Von Miller. That's yeah, not what he is. He's yeah. Khalil Mack light, maybe. We'll see. We'll see. And Cleo Mack's been a good yeah, football player. He's just not a dynamic I, edge rusher. I think the biggest thing that's hurt Will Anderson is he was too good too early, and people watched and watched and watched and almost started looking for imperfections. That's what I, that's what I, think. I think. But, you know, the right, like the right tackle at 
Tennessee is a good player. He lined up against him in one-on-one situations, and by the end of the game, Will Anderson had gone to the other side to get away from him. He got handled. He didn't get anything on him. And that's usually – you got to look when you value – that's one thing I do do. When I evaluate a player, I look to see, is he beating a bad player or is he beating a really good player? Because if a good player dominates you, that's a little bit of a red flag. By the way, the guard at Florida – that is a nasty man right there. Great player. He, he's got, he's a he is a I'm on because guards go low is why he's going 26th and not 16th. He's good. He's, he's really good. I'm the bad comparison, but Larry Allen, yeah, well, yeah, Carl Nix. Yeah, he's, he's remember those guys. Larry the, Allen was athletic. Yeah, he's not. He he's not. He, he's, he's not, not as run. Run. He's not going to run like. Larry no, Allen maybe ran. Carl. Remember Carl yeah, Nix? And he was a Pro yeah. Bowler for he's a more long like time. That. Yeah, he's, he's, he's a massive man, and he yeah. moves people. He's a good player. Yeah, he he is. I finally think we'll let you go from from here. All right, so the Jaguars are all the rage around here. I mean, everywhere we've been, Doug's smiling and Trent's smiling, and and and. Do you sense that? People think, okay, we're going to pick the Jaguars because the rest of the division's no good, or the Jaguars are really going to be Kansas City, Buffalo, Cincinnati, good. Where, where in that, where are we in there? They're in, they're in that conversation with those teams. It's not just because it's a bad division. See, that's they're, what I think too. They're in that. They will be there now for the next decade in the conversation, or at least you know, because as long as Trevor Lawrence is throwing the football and you can supplement everything around them, they're going to be in the conversation. It's head coach and quarterback. They have the head coach. They have the quarterback. Staying power is now there in Jacksonville. We haven't seen this ever, by the way, in Jacksonville. I agree. Because when Mark Brunel was there and that gang was kind of pieced together and they had the little run and everything. But this is a draft and develop quarterback who is a franchise quarterback. It's there for now for the next decade. If they add to it, if they add to this roster the way they could, if Trevor develops the way he could, Doug is one of the best, I think, four or five coaches in the league. Can they win a Super Bowl? Yes, absolutely they can win a Super Bowl. They hung, around, they hung around with Kansas City who ended up winning the yeah, Super Bowl. Yeah. I mean, I, I think they can win a Super Bowl. I mean, we, we've almost chuckled for the last 28 years when we've said that. Other than 99, other than 99, we've never said with a straight face they could win a Super Bowl. I know they went to two other championship games, but we still never said – was straight. We didn't. Even no. in 17, they might have won it if they'd have. But you know, what, you know my point? Right. We've that never, team was an accident. Right. right. Correct. This well, team is sustainable. This is the first time in 28 years, other than 99, we said they could win a Super Bowl one day. The problem is they're in the AFC. Yeah. Because well, we, there's a lot of teams that could win Super Bowl. Right. Pete, great work. You got it. Pete Prisco from CBSSports.com. When we come back, we have a fun thing. We did a roundtable. Mike Keith from the Titans, uh, Mark Vandermeer from the Texans, Matt Taylor from the Colts, and me. Four play-by-play guys. Just did about a 15-minute roundtable. We talked about all kind of stuff. That's next on 1010XL and 92.5 FM. Uh, we did a little roundtable. We talked about each other's teams, uh, our times in the league, and, and we had a lot of fun. We hope you enjoy it. A roundtable from uh, play-by-play guys from the AFC South. Since his team won the AFC South this past mm. year, Frank Frangie of the Jacksonville Jaguars, you go first, sir. What do you want to know I, from I, the I will, rest and of the again, group? I should go first. Not only did we win the division, but we dominate it so often. So I think there's that. So uh, <laughs> that's what we've been. I, I got a lot of questions about, about where these franchises are. Okay. Let's, let's talk about the franchises. And I want to start with Mark because, Mark, for the, when I started doing this, the Texans won the thing every year. You know, mm-hmm. The Texans mm-hmm. were a dominant team. And then I watched how it changed the Deshaun Watson thing. So my question for you is, where are you? Is the rebuild starting? Mm. Is the rebuild? Uh, is it? Is it? 
under underway because of all these draft picks. Mm. Um, how do you feel about the – where, where's the franchise? It's fluid, Frank. It's fluid. You guys know how yeah, it yeah, is. Yeah. It's it, Bill O'Brien used to say every year is different, right? And every yeah. year is different because you never know what's going to happen. Look at what yeah. happened to the Jaguars this year. We all thought the Colts – would do a lot better, obviously, with Matt Ryan, and then look what happened. And Tennessee, I never could have predicted this. You know, a year ago, I was saying, you know, Tennessee looks like the premier team in the division and organization in the division. And then the dismissal of John Robinson, I'm thinking, oh, wow, that's a real change, you know. And obviously, everybody goes through changes. And the Texans have gone through more than anybody in recent years. So, yeah, I think the rebuild, if you want to call it that, no one's going to call it that publicly. But it is. I mean, when you win four, four, and three games, you're rebuilding. Yeah. You're you're retooling, rebuilding, reload, whatever it is. You're redoing it. Mm-hmm. But I think it is underway and has been underway because of the last two draft classes by Nick Casario leading into the 2023 draft class that you have some seedlings, some good foundational pieces there to build on. And finally, they get the coach that can be here for a long time. You know, David Culley, great guy, wasn't the right coach. Lovey Smith didn't work out. We don't have to get into all that. Right. But now they have D'Amico Ryans, who played for the team, obviously. Best player leader I've ever been around in the Texans organization. That includes the quarterbacks. And he's the right guy for the job. A premier hire right there, and I'm excited to see what happens. And, and, I, and I am, too. I think I'm very intrigued with it. My question for you, Mike, and we could, we could all talk about where's the state of the franchise, but more than that, we had this guy that grew up in Yulee. Yuli is very close to Jacksonville. It's probably mm. about 30 miles. Everybody said, well, you know, he's, he's a good high school running back, but he's going to have to play defensive end in college. Right. He can't run. He's too upright. And, uh, and lo and behold, he went, well, he went to college, and he played running back, and he did okay. Okay? Won that big trophy. And then they said, well, he gets to the NFL. He's not, he's, he's, he can't. The NFL is 5'9", 205 running backs. I think Derrick Henry is one of the greatest athletes to ever come out of my area. My question is, how long has he got left, or how much does he have left? He's 29. He defies the odds. The, the, the rules tell us running backs are done now at 29 or 30. Right. But I don't believe it with him. How much longer are we going to have Derrick Henry watching Derrick Henry look like Derrick Henry? Number one, I think it's how long does he want to do it because his conditioning is so crazy. Mm. I think that's why he's at this point. Matt and I were discussing it earlier in the week. He's beaten the odds already. Running backs um, don't fall off the cliff, as Charles Davis likes to say. They don't even make it to the cliff. Right. And, I mean, there's just going to come a point where he can't do it anymore. Now, when is that? I mean, you saw it with Arian Foster in, right. in, in Houston, and certainly you saw it with Fred Taylor in Jacksonville, and we, we saw it with Eddie George. And I mean, it, it, it happens. Um, I, I certainly think there, the, the plan, if he's on this roster this year, the plan is to make sure he touches the ball 20 to 25 times a game. Like normal. Yeah, well, I mean, you, that's what you're going to do. I, yeah. I, he's a first and second down back, you know, and we know that about Derek. Derek does play some third down, but very little. And so he he doesn't get uh, every snap, which probably helps. The beating he takes weighs on the other side. But I, I think he's still Derek Henry until just the moment he's not. And at that moment, it will probably be something you'll see very quickly because quickness is not his thing. You know, it's about getting to the fourth or fifth step, and mm-hmm. then he's – when he's rolling, he's Usain Bolt fast. Yeah. It's yeah. not a stopwatch thing. It's a play thing. But at the moment that it's over, I think it'll be obvious to everybody. But from what he did last year, it's clearly not over. And I can tell you, defensive coaches at Jacksonville, different staffs, we tend to change our staffs a lot, have all 
the week you play the Titans, they spend days working on stiff arm. Right. Yeah. They have stiff arm practice. I don't know if the te- the Texans and the Colts have done that, but they'll they'll have a f- segment of practice. I mean, working on stiff, working on not getting stiff arm. Right. Which is a, which is amazing. That's an extra portion of your practice week that they only do again when they're playing the Titans. If he has one more great year, suddenly you're talking about Hall of Fame. Oh, that's a question. Because if you look at the backs who are in the Hall of Fame, it's generally five year stretches. Right. Yeah. You know, certain players are judged for their careers. Right. Uh, but backs are really judged on periods of time. Yep. And it's the Gale Sayers, Terrell right. Davis. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, and we have we think Fred Taylor should be in the hall. I do too. His numbers are incredible. And I and the running back is kind of a dying breed. The, the Hall of Fame running back's a dying breed. Oh, there's I think not, that's right. There's not going to be a yeah. lot of them make it now, so we think Fred may be next, but it'll be interesting to watch. Well, one thing though, before we get off the Derrick Henry subject, yeah. and we'll probably return to it. Don't you guys feel like the other all right, so you're you're playing Mike's team. We we don't, but our teams yeah. are. When they pull Derrick Henry off the field on third down, I'm like, who yeah, okay, same here. Yeah. Same. You're doing why do you favor. leave him there? Now I know maybe the wear and tear, but right. sometimes yeah. and look, this is probably a yeah. broader football discussion for coaches, but third and eight, third and seven. If I'm a defense, and as a play-by-play guy, I'm terrified when I see yeah. Derrick Henry. He's one of the most terrifying players as a play-by-play announcer. It's third down, and I want my team off the field. When when I see Derrick Henry, well, first and second in his case, sure. when I see Derrick Henry on the field, it's it's terror. It's like, oh, my gosh, what are we going to do to stop him? It used to be Peyton Manning with the Colts, uh, Steve McNair a little bit, right. with with the Titans, of course, with Jacksonville, nobody. I'm just kidding. I'm oh, kidding, Frank. I'm first kidding. shot. Yeah. I first kidding. shot. No, Fred Taylor but was But I was, was trying to think of somebody I, when he was saying that. <laughs> <laughs> so, the, uh, no, no I, but as a play-by-play guy, I agree. Back to the st- stiff arms. I'm wondering which one of our guys is going to get stiff armed into the front row, and I'm like yeah. Mark. I love it when he's out of the game, you know. So I mean, but I, you got to on third and nine, you can't keep running. Well, and and let's face it, too. Part of the most fun, the, one of the most fun parts of our job is watching guys on our teams who are freaks. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That is so yeah. much fun. Yeah, yeah, that's right. To see somebody who is just and, and he's one of those. I mean, he is crazy strong. No question. A, he's and that guy. He's that guy. That's right. My question for you, Matt, and Matt told me a stat, and I knew it, but I didn't know it when Matt sat in with me the other day. It's been 15 and 16 since the Colts have had a quarterback play, starting same starting quarterback, Pat Beck years. That just astounded me. Not that I didn't know it. Mm-hmm. I've done the games all these years. It just – You forget. Me. Yeah. So, so and, and I'm going to ask you a question about your boss. So how do you talk about your boss on, on air, I guess? But thanks. Does, uh, you're, no problem. <laughs> <laughs> but good luck, how, Matt. how does the ownership, Jim Ursay, who I think's a good owner, but he's kind of out there, <clears throat> connect with with your public, with your fan base? Um, the team was very good in the Peyton years and very good in the Luck years. How does he connect? I, I'm very curious about that. I mean, I think he's one of the best owners in the game. I mean, certainly he's a fascinating guy. He's yeah. got a ton of outside interests outside of football. I mean, right. he's got the collection, which I'm sure you guys have seen. He's he collects. Uh, sports memorabilia. It? I have. Okay. Yeah. I mean, and, and, and right now he's taken across the country. I don't. I don't know if you guys are privy to this, but he's got a. He's got tour stops all over the country. He's been doing it since November. I think actually next weekend is going to be in Las Vegas, where the collection's on display. Then he's got the band that he's in, and it's it's a. Right. I mean, you love music. We all love music. Mm-hmm. He's got 
Kenny Wayne Shepherd in the band. He's got uh, the wow. drummer that used to play all over the country with John Mellencamp. Um, he's playing with Joe Walsh. Right. He's played, you know, with the guys that were in Fleetwood Mac. So um, he's a fascinating guy. I think he connects well with, you know, the city, um, you know, with, with the fan base. He's, I think, one of the most philanthropic guys there is. And, he wants to win, and yeah. I think he's exciting because he is out there. He's out there in the public, and he comments. And Listen, I mean, I, I think, I mean, honestly, Chris Ballard has to rein him in. Yeah. I mean, I really do. I mean, I think, you know, it's no stone unturned. I mean, you've got all the resources to win. If Chris is adamant that, you know, we should make a make a move, we should make a draft pick, we should be bold. I mean, Jim's all there to support it. So um, he's, he's a very, very interesting guy. But, I mean, he's first class. I mean, I don't know how you guys, uh, you know, uh, were handled and, and dealt with the pandemic. But, I mean... We all got Christmas bonuses during the, the during the pandemic. I mean, that's really? that's first class. <laughs> yeah. That's really? first good class. Time. He's he's eclectic, and he's uh, he, but he's he's a good guy, isn't he? He's an unbelievable I, I think guy. They, I think that's the thing. He, right. He's an unusual. You get guy. that impression. But yeah. I, I get the impression. He's I mean, probably, there, there he's are, probably a guy I'd like to sit and have a beer with. Yeah. I mean, I, I can't I can't go on this and and tell you the stories that I'm privy to about how he is going, you know, in the back door to help people yeah. and give people money and give people hope because, you know, I don't want that out there. Yeah. But th there are countless things that happen that people don't know of Jim Mersey's heart, his love for this franchise, his love for the NFL, and, and being a steward for the league. You know, he, he loves the Shield more than anything, and he respects the history of the game. And he, he more so than anybody, is desperate for this franchise to get back to where it was, you know, the the last time the Colts won the AFC South was 2014, yeah. right? Every, I like every to point team, that out. Every I'll, team, <laughs> every team has won it twice since then wow. in the division. Wow, so, that's hard to believe. Yeah. So, so how how well we could do a whole freaky stats kind of segment here, but so the Colts won it in 2014, right? The Texans since 2011 have won it six times, right? And since that time, and that's more than anybody, right? Mm -hmm. Since that time, all three other teams have been to the AFC Championship game except the Texans, and they've won the division more than anybody else, which is a weird stat yeah, to me. Weird. Uh, yeah. But but back to Ursay for a moment, and I think all owners, you know, there's a great Bum Phillips quote about players, and he applies to two of our franchises here at this table. Yep. But he said two kinds of players. One are, more so than others. Yeah, one well, I would other. say that would be ours, Mike, in the sense that hmm. we're in Houston. How many we games did he coach for the Texans? <laughs> His son was a defensive coordinator and part of the biggest turnaround in franchise history. Anyway, uh, he said two kinds of players aren't worth the dang. Uh, one that never does what he's told and one that only does what he's told. And I think with owners, uh, two kinds of owners, one that never interferes or intervenes and, and one that always does. You know, you can't have that, but you have to have – an owner that every once in a while is going to stick his nose in it and say, this is not it right. He used to be a GM. Yeah. I mean, Jim Irsay yeah. used to be the general manager. Right. He knows football. He grew up around this team, around this league. Doesn't I'll, mean everything's going to happen correctly, but right. it's kind of exciting in a sense. It's his I'll, team. My final thing before I pass it off, I'll tell you a story, an Irsay story. So I'm in, I, I graduated from Florida in 1980. And in 1979, I'm kind of home for the summer, working summer jobs, no money. And we're going out and hanging out. And so all of a sudden, the word gets around that you got to go down to the stadium, the Gator Bowl at the time, okay? Because something big's happening. Like late summer, okay, so we're going to go down there. So we didn't know what was, but you know, our parents and our friends knew. So I'm a broke 
broke ass college student, but why not? <laughs> I, I'm getting a free hot dog and a Coke. I'm going to go sure. down. Sure. <laughs> we go to the Gator Bowl. 60,000 people, 60,000 show up at the Gator Bowl for a hot dog and a Coke to watch Robert Ursay fly in on a helicopter Ooh. because he's thinking about moving the Baltimore Colts to Jacksonville. And yeah, we wanted it so bad. The helicopter lands. Okay. I got my hot dog and a Coke. Okay. Which is big news for me. There's 60,000 people. Just to say hello. He wa- he gets out of the helicopter, walks Welcoming around. Welcoming party. Waves yeah. to everybody and gets back in it and leaves. Yeah. It's, it's probably about 20 minutes. And I'm convinced, I'm convinced that's the first step in Jacksonville having an NFL team. I'm convinced that Robert Ursay getting out of that helicopter, waving to all of us with our hot dogs on our Cokes, is why, is why, not why, but it's the first step of why Jacksonville. That's Oilers, a great story. The Oilers flirted with Jacksonville also sure back in the day. And it's that was one. We're all a division now, and both other franchises, Jacksonville gets a team, eventually Houston gets a team back. That's interesting. And the Oilers was in 87. By then, I was a sports writer, and I covered the story. I actually went to Houston, Well, and there was also a strike. Yeah. So the the Mm. Oilers were talking about coming to Jacksonville. There was a strike going on. So, So Warren Moon and some of the players were practicing on their own at Love Park or some park in Houston. I went out there and did a story talking to him. Hey, how do you feel about Jacksonville? Hey, we love to come to Jacksonville. Yeah, hey, we'll come. We'll and, <laughs> so I remember, and then I covered a, 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 a replacement game. Right. And then came back. So I remember that story very well. A lot of fun talking uh, about the, the, the league, the division uh, with those guys. And there'll be more of that coming. We hope you enjoy it as we talk a little bit about uh, uh, the NFL with uh, three of my closer friends in the league, uh, Mike Keith. Mark Vandermeer and Matt Taylor. We'll take a break. When we come back, John Ozier joins us. One hour to go from Indianapolis. Stay with us. Now it's time for the O Show with John Osher from Jaguars.com. Oh. 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 Johnny O is in the house. How you doing, buddy? Good. Good. Frisco must have been here. These uh, headphones a little short. Yeah, yeah. There we go. Uh, we said he was your opening act. And he had cap one on, so yeah, it's, it's a double. <laughs> <laughs> so. He was he was your opening act, is what well, he was. He really was. He really was. He's uh heard you guys wrote a book together. Save the worst for last yes. in, in this case. You uh, may be writing a book a year from now. Yeah. On on a Super Bowl. Oh sure, you're right. right. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, what was the other book called? Uh Jags to Riches. Jags to Riches. Yeah. Well, it's right part Jags two. to Riches part two. Part two. Part two. <laughs> exactly right. All right, what have you learned from the from trip number one thousand of the combine, or however many you've been to? Uh, trip twenty one or twenty two. I've, I've uh, what did we learn? Uh, you know, I'm sure you guys have already covered the topics from Trent and Doug. That's really what I try to focus on more yeah. than the yeah. uh, the players on the podium. Um, I thought the most intriguing thing about what Doug Peterson had to say was how he seemed to embrace and be preparing for the uh, for the second step, if you will. And very much embracing, hey, there's going to be there's going to be expectations next year, and he wants those. He wants players to understand. I thought the most interesting thing about his lead quote on the podium was basically talking about how he needs them to know how to prepare for being targeted each week. And I'm I'm, I'm paraphrasing it, but I thought last year when they learned to win in the second half of the season. There was a lot of talk among players and coaches about, okay, now we know how to prepare to get to this level. 
I think he now wants them to be able to prepare with the idea all season of being a playoff team and then and, and advancing at that point. I think he believes that there is another level that you have to do to do that. And I thought his podium comments uh, were sort of the precursor for that being a big theme moving forward in the offseason and in training camp. And obviously with Trent Baalke, uh it was a reiteration of what he had said after the season uh, about drafting and develop, about how their offseason will be. Uh, there was really no surprises with what Trent said. I thought it more reset the tone and sort of re-educated Jaguars followers of this is not going to be a big free agent offseason in terms of going out and getting other guys. It lines up with what we have seen from their actions so far. So no surprises from Trent. It just sort of clarified where the Jaguars are in the 2023 offseason. And I think the theme of taking a big step forward is it works from a micro level and a macro level because there's so many individuals on this team, so mm-hmm. many players that themselves can take sure. an individual big step forward. I mean, you look at this roster, and they still have so many guys on rookie contracts. And even free agents in their second year sometimes right. can even play to a higher level, although this free agent class was outstanding in year one, probably maybe the best we've ever seen in franchise history. But, but as a collective, they can play at a higher level, meaning you know, it was Doug's theme all year, and you guys heard him say it in, in our pressers and to the side. He firmly believes that Trevor is going to get worlds better in year two of an offense. Well, it's not just him. It's uh, Christian Kirk having having uh, familiarity with Trevor. It's Evan Ingram now. It's it's uh, Zay Jones. All this cohesion that we really saw the first steps of that happen in the second half of last season. Um, it's that's the theme of the off season to me. More than who they add, more than who they draft. How much do the year two offense, if you will, and more specifically, how the three defensive core guys that they drafted, Muma, Lloyd, uh, Trayvon Walker, not in that order, of course. If the defense is going to take a step, to me it's going to be those three guys becoming what they believe they drafted. They all contributed last year, but can they become core guys, front-line players? To me, that's where the defense can take a step. I don't know how much they'll add from the outside. Improving from within is the way you're supposed to get better when you're an established franchise. They have to start doing that next season. John, you've been around a lot of teams. Have you been around a team that likes each other and wants to be around each other as much as this team? Yeah, I mean, the Colts teams that I covered got along. um, But I think a lot of that is sort of self-fulfilling. I think when you win, it's easy to get along with each other. So I'm not trying to dismiss your question, there was a lot of that the Colts. There was a lot of camaraderie because a lot of those guys had been around each other for so long. They kept that core together for a long time. I don't know that I've seen a team come from where they were in terms of the locker room in 2021 and in terms of obviously the situation they were in come together and a Christian Kirk and Evan Ingram, I don't know how well they knew each other before last year, all of a sudden come in and there's camaraderie there. Uh, it extends to defense. You know, I don't know that I've seen a team come together and like each other as, as quickly as the 2022 Jaguars did. Yeah, they really, and, I, and Doug and I had that talk this week, that, that the locker room being as good as it was. For a bunch of free agents yes, who yes. are coming from different spots. Correct. And it, I said multiple times this week on shows, that to me was the most remarkable. I don't know if you can give Doug all the credit for it, whatever happened. 
for free agents to come in and not only perform and essentially all of them performed at a high level. All of them were contributing and mesh the way they did. Um, I've never seen it. I mean, I haven't covered that many teams that have had that large a free agent class. But I've never seen it either. But uh, 2017, not to uh, dismiss everything that's happened in the past, 2017 you had Calais, Barry Church, Anton- I mean, uh, A.J. Boye. Guys came in and contributed, but it wasn't that many. Yeah, and and you always and thought, career years and et cetera. And that team, and, and it's easy to say it now in hindsight, but there were some combustible pieces there, for sure, which I don't think you have here. So, as this team moves to year two, and everyone's so excited about it, and you can feel the buzz around here, to not put a damper on it, but you always say, "What do you have to do next?" The one concern I have that I don't know how they fixed. Not, I'm not saying they're not going to fix it because I think they will. They've shown how to fix things. John, where do they find a pass rush? Where, where, where do they? Is that a? Yeah, I'm not sure a, they can. Yeah, that, I mean, that, it, that I'm not question? trying to dismiss it, but uh, isn't that the question? Pete Prisco and I were just talking on uh, on uh, Jaguars uh, happy hour about that. I, you know, I don't know if there's going to be a fix that is a, oh wow, we got this player, this piece, and 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 we're plugging it in, and and it's magically fixed. Yeah, and I say that because I don't know. Th- I don't know that it's their fault that they can't fix it. I don't know that you find that in in free agency. Uh, I, and even if you could, I don't know that they're going to extend the kind of dollars to get whoever is the best pass rusher in the draft. Arden Key is one of the best, I mean, not in the draft, but in free agency. Arden Key is up there, and he was on the team last year. Yeah. You know, if you look at the lists, Arden Key is one of the uh, better pass rushers available. So I don't know that you get huge impact there. And then picking 24th, you know, I don't know that it's realistic to think that a – 24th selected or whatever the next pick will be, you know, a 52nd selected guy is going to come in and be huge impact. Um, I think that's why I emphasize those three guys they drafted on defense last year. I think the guys you drafted last year as rookies have to take second-year jumps and be a more impactful group in that front seven, and maybe you get the pressure and disruption we're talking about that way rather than thinking that you're going to add a huge piece in in free agency of the draft this offseason yeah and that's it's got to start in-house it's got to start with Trayvon Walker and Devin Lloyd and Muma but when you draft guys in the first first and third round I don't I personally never expect those guys to be the reason you win in in their rookie year Mm -hmm. you you do start expecting it in their second year let me let me let me addendum to that bud but but you've mentioned those three guys together a few times now well if they all play together as starters doesn't Devin Lloyd have to change positions? I mean, and, I mean, and maybe Trayvon does too. Yeah, and maybe Trayvon. does. I mean, it's, it's not that. It's not that. And I don't know where that happens. And it's not that cut and dried. I know that. Right. But I mean, if Muma, Lloyd, and Aluakon are on the field together, then that's a kind of a different defense, yeah. unless someone's playing a different position, right? Yeah, no doubt about it. One one thing that I also like in terms of the culture and and the benefits of it having been established is. Now, I think when you do bring in this draft class, which is really going to be their most significant other than Calvin Ridley, um, he's mm-hmm. a new addition, but you know, we've known he's going to be a Jaguar for uh, several months now. But I think, I think now the draft class comes in and it's easier for them to maybe get acclimated because mm-hmm. I think they're stepping in to a locker room that, that's conducive to maybe servant leadership is too strong right. across the board but certainly i think a, a vibe of let's try to get everybody as good as we can be because they're going to have the goal of the lombardi trophy and you also have the element that 
a lot of roles around the team have been established after last year. So you can draft perhaps to a specific, okay, we're going to draft a pass rusher here. If he gets us five or six sacks, then that's five or six more than we had out of that spot. I also wonder, too, based on the end of last season, Josh Allen played very well to me in the last half of last season. Uh, was he starting to figure something out? Could he be – again, I, I don't know that we're going to see 17 sacks. But it, if he's marginally better, and then if uh, Trayvon's marginally better from being a second-year guy, and then if they can figure out a way to unlock Devin Lloyd a little bit, three guys being marginally better, their pass rush at the end of last season was really good in some key spots. Maybe it could get there and be good enough. Well, have to see. It's going to be interesting to see. All right, Johnny, uh, well, when are you going back? Uh, tomorrow around noon. Tomorrow noon, okay. Yeah. All right, there you go. How many, by the way, you help me, I ask you this every time. You lived here six years, seven years? I lived here 10 years. You lived here 10 years? Yeah, believe it or not. All right, so this I see you missed me. So, I did miss you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So this has been a home game for you for a while there, right? Like when I got back in 11, Frank goes, you been gone? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Johnny, thanks, buddy. John Ozier from uh, Jaguars.com. Back in a moment, 10, 10, 10, 92.5 FM. Bob Dylan on Old Rock Thursday. The great Bob Dylan, the great songwriter. We're live at Indianapolis at the uh, NFL Scouting Combine. Two segments to go. What stood out to you the most here, Carlion? Well, I tell you what, some of the testing that we're seeing right yeah, now right. Uh, is is incredible it's across the way it's in Lucas Oil Stadium. Uh, Nolan Smith, who we've been raving about uh, for the last day, uh, a 4.4440, and he has a vertical of 41 and a half. How that, big is he? Uh, Nolan Smith, I'll have to double check on uh, on what he weighed in. Uh, so give me a second on that. But uh, but outstanding testing times today for Nolan Smith. Again, a player that could be there at 24. This is going to make it a little yeah. harder. Um, but because uh, I can see him on the good guys. Oh, absolutely. I, I can see him playing for the good guys. Yeah, and uh, and Gervon Dexter had uh, a really strong day. He had his official 40 time came in at 4.88. Uh, at 310 pounds, that is uh, sensational. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see. And, again, we talk about scarcity. Finding uh, pass rush from interior defensive linemen is in such big need. Gervon Dexter might have made himself millions today with how well he tested. Uh, so, yeah, it's um, there's a lot of uh, really, really good athletes. Those are just two local guys that – uh, you know, we could be in the mix at 24 for the Jaguars, but I mean, there are just some stunning examples of athleticism going on right now from these defensive linemen as a as a collective group. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think the fact that we had a really good DBs group uh, was was fun, and certainly there could be a corner that was at a podium today that the Jaguars are, are looking to add to their team, and then just I think the conversation, Frank, that will not stop until the draft is over is the quarterbacks, obviously. Yeah. There's so much discussion. It's not usually <laughs> like that, right? Like, everyone knew Trevor Lawrence was going one. Right. And then, yes, there was conversation between Zach Wilson, Justin Fields, and I think uh, the Jets might have gotten that wrong. But with this group, nobody can tell you this person is definitively going to go as the first quarterback, whether it's one overall or not. I don't think there's much question that Bryce Young and C.J. Stroud are going to the top five. Agreed? Totally agree. I I agree. Yeah, I don't think there's much question about that. I think they're both going to go in the, somehow it's over in the top five. The other two, who knows? 
Anthony Richardson could go anywhere from one to nine to drop. Who, by the way, we just saw. Yeah, and yeah. He, he looks in fantastic yeah, he shape. Just, he just walked by. He just happened ago. to pop in here. I think he was just checking yeah, kind of. Yeah. He'll, he'll be on but the he, other side there but tomorrow he, for media. But He is a specimen, <laughs> man. He does. He really looks. Quarterbacks don't look the way he looks. Yeah, he, he really looks the part. And we knew that. But, I mean, to yeah. see him in person, yeah, it's 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 impressive. Yeah, so um, – but I think Stroud and, Stroud and Bryce Young are going in the top top five. Uh, Anthony Richardson could go in the top five, could go in the top ten. Will Levis could go in the top ten. I'm going to go ahead and guess that they're all gone by ten, all four. You agree with that? I'm going to guess they're all gone by ten. Agree or disagree? I'll disagree. Yeah, I disagree. Okay, so you think one of them drops out of the top ten? Yeah. Yes. Levis? AR? I'm going to say for now AR is not in the top ten. What about you? Yeah, I agree with that. I think I think it might go young to, the, let's say, the Texans, Texans, Stroud to the Colts maybe, and then the Panthers will take Levis. Okay, okay. And then at that point. I can see that. that, that if if one dropped out of the top ten – if AR dropped out of the top ten, then you, the way you said it would be the way it goes. It's going to be interesting to see. Uh, a lot of other things. I, I think the Jaguar buzz around here has been really cool. I think it's been it's been real, and I think it's to Pete Prisco's point. He uh, said he, what he said a minute ago. It's not just because the Jag. It's not just because the the division is struggling. I think it's because people believe the Jags are pretty good, and, and I think uh, there's not a lot of holes. You got to get better. You got to have more depth. You got to find a pass rush. But I, and I can tell you. The, the 12 minutes I sat here with Doug Peterson and the 10 minutes I sat here with, with Trent Baalke, Hayes, they know it. They know it. They're not cocky. They're appreciative. But you can tell there's a confidence when they walk around here that we haven't always seen when Jaguar personnel walks around here. And they should feel that confident. Yeah. It's a, uh, they've got an elite franchise quarterback, we believe, who's just 23. Uh, they're not going to lose really anything, I, I'd say, of extreme consequence in, in free agency. I mean, Jawan Taylor's a good player, and he may he may hit the market. But it's not going to be a wave of players that help them get to the divisional round. So basically the team is returning intact. And, oh, by the way, you're going to get Calvin Ridley. He'll be reinstated in the next probably three weeks. Uh, and you're going to have a draft class that hopefully will help you. Uh, so uh, – there, there's no reason not to be optimistic about the Jaguars in 2023 and moving forward. Is, is Barring injuries to really key players, uh, particularly Trevor, there's no reason to think that the Jaguars are not going to have a really firm grip on this division, uh, not just this year, but probably in 2024 as well. And then, you know, we'll see what – the Texans, Colts, and, and Titans have been able to do going into 2025. Frank, are you sure or convinced, I guess I should ask it that way, that Walker Little can play right tackle if Jawan Taylor leaves? I am. Okay. I am. I, 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 he, he profiles more as a left tackle. He's a tall, angular, Which athletic guy. Which is why I'm guy. asking the question. But, uh, um, yes, I am. I, I think he would be a very good left, a very good right tackle uh, if Jawan leaves. I think the problem then becomes you're one twisted ankle away because – I can't begin to tell you who the next tackle is. Yeah, that, that's the concern. It'd be nice to have – I'd love to go into the season with Cam Robinson, Jawan Taylor, and Walker Little as your tackles, plural, and with Ben Barch and Brandon Sheriff and Tyler Shatley, it, and Tyler maybe not, but right now as your guards, plural. I think with uh, Luke Fortner and Tyler Shatley as your centers, plural. People get hurt, man. It's the NFL. You know, so so I am convinced of that. To your question, um, 
I am. I, I feel I would feel very good about that. And I'm not convinced. Let's say they're all back. Let's say let's say Juwan Taylor's back and everybody else is back. I do think Walker Little gets a peek at left guard. I, I think you play your best five guys, and I think I think you take a long look at it. And I mean, whether he can play it or not, I don't know. I can tell you this: when when Bart's got hurt, I can tell you now that uh, there was a plan was Tyler Shatley was going to keep the seat warm until Walker Little became the left guard. I, I'm, I can definitively tell you that. That, that. that was the plan. Tyler Shatley messed that plan up by going in and playing really well. But I can tell you the plan was, I say the plan, the expectation was that, that Tyler would, would, would keep, the, keep the seat warm and that Walker Little, because he's longer and younger and more athletic and all that stuff, was going to wind up being the left guard and Tyler Shatley played so damn well that he said, okay. I mean, he really had a good year. You know, he struggled maybe a little bit at the end, but for the most part, he, he had a really good year. So I think that, yeah, I think Walker Little gets, Walker Little gets a look at, uh, it really gets a, a good look at left guard. I'd be, in fact, I'd be so much so that I'd be surprised if, uh, I'd be almost surprised if he doesn't win the job. I'll almost go that far. Walker Little at left guard. Assuming everybody's back. Okay. Would not, no one's talking about that, but would no. not surprise me. Again, Bed Barch, I think he's going to be a good player, not a great player. Tyler was a nice stopgap guy, but there's not a lot of other options there now. There's not. There's, that's kind of what they have there. So we'll see. Yeah, I I wonder if Walker Little is going to be as good on the right side as he's been on the left side, and so that's where I, I do think that Jawan Taylor. Uh, potential future contract is important. Yeah, Juwan looks more like a right tackle. He's he looks more Juwan's more Leon Cersei, you know. He I mean Cam Robinson's more Baselli, Walker Little, long and lean, you know, longer or leaner whereas right tackles tend to be blockier, you know. And so he looks he looks that way. But I uh but I think he can I think he wound up being a good player. So I think that was one of the the storylines the buzz. You said it, Lauren. The story about the, where the quarterbacks are going to go, that's the, that's the story here. For our purposes, the buzz of the Jaguars, I think, is the story here. Um, you know what you didn't hear a lot? You didn't hear a lot of, and maybe it's just because we just didn't focus on it, but you didn't hear a whole lot about, other than the Chiefs who wanted about Joe Burrow or the Ravens or what. what I couldn't begin to tell you what other teams at the top of the top of the list are going to do. I couldn't begin to tell you that. Yeah, and I think it's because they're established. Yeah. And, and so it's except. It's accepted league-wide that those guys are, are true contenders uh, along, you know, to, if anybody's going to threaten the Chiefs, it's going to start with Cincinnati and Buffalo. And uh, so that's why, I, you know, I, I think that. Um, but, uh, but, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's going to be interesting now seeing as we get closer to the deadline to apply tags what some other clubs do. Then once free agency begins, you know, what, if anything – are the Titans, Texans, Colts going to be able to do in that? How active are they going to want to be? And then it comes down to what they're going to do at, at quarterback. I mean, there's a very good chance that Bryce Young and C.J. Stroud are going to be in the AFC South next yeah, year. Yeah, there really is. Very if, good chance. You know, if they're terrible, then the Jaguars are in fantastic shape. Well, and I can tell you, if they're starters, I don't expect them to be terrible. But if they're starting as rookies, I don't find myself overly concerned. About those two teams, and I and I have great respect for 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 the teams in this division. But you know, if if it's two rookies, a bit of a journeyman in Tannehill and Trevor, I'm okay with that. I'm okay. We'll take a break. One segment to go. Uh, Lauren's going to have news and notes that'll wrap our program on 1010XL and 92.5 FM. 
What's going on in the world? It's time for Frangie Show News and Notes. Here's Lauren Brooks. Come gather around people wherever you roam And admit that the waters around you have grown And accept it that soon you'll be drenched to the bone If your time to you is worth saving Then you better start swimming or you'll sink like a stone For the times they are a-changing It was true in the 60s, I would bet, is when the song came out. And certainly true to today as well, the times they are a-changing. One thing we have not discussed while here at the Combine, our final show from here in Indianapolis, thanks again to our wonderful sponsors, the local players, and I use local as a little bit of in quotes local because when I throw out Stetson Bennett from yeah. Pierce County, area. I don't know yeah, that it's technically local, but yeah, absolutely, area players. Uh, defensive back who played at Virginia Tech, Chamari Connor, he went to Trinity Christian. He was certainly mm-hmm. here today. Wide receiver Demario Douglas played Frank at Mandarin and Menendez. Uh, he attended Liberty. He'll be coming through the combine. Wide receiver Xavier Hutchinson from Iowa State. He attended Bartram Trail. Tight end Will Mallory, who, of course, played at Miami. He went to Providence. Running back Dwayne McBride, he went to UAB. He's from Fleming Island and Bradford. And then an offensive lineman who I saw the Jaguars have some interest in, uh, potentially Warren McClendon. Uh, from He attended Georgia, and then he's from Brunswick. And finally, kicker Jack Podlesny, also Georgia. He went to Glen Academy. Yeah, I don't know a lot of those guys. I know Mallory, I remember. Sure. Because he was played at uh, Miami and before that Providence. So I remember him. I don't know a lot. The Hutchinson kid, big physical receiver from Iowa State, played at Bartram Trail, certainly. Uh, Demario, um, uh, the wide receiver that played for – I remember him playing for Carson Beck. He was a good player. I mean, he was the wide receiver for Carson Beck at Mandarin, so I certainly remember him. But, I, but I'd be lying if I said I remember a lot of those guys. But Lesney, the kicker, I didn't know was from Brunswick. I, I know he kicked for Georgia. But I didn't know that. So I didn't but, know that either. And, and as for Stetson Bennett, um, Stetson Bennett, I don't think is wowing anybody here. I assume he's going to throw. Um, he's not. No one's going to be wowed. No one's going to be impressed. No one's going to see see stuff they like all that much. And then when he gets in the game in the NFL, he's going to be a damn good player because that's what he is. He's just a damn good player. When is the next time, Hayes, that we will see a national championship winning quarterback? Obviously, twice for Stetson, but just once for this example not even be really talked about at the Combine. Yeah, and I know he doesn't have the second actual ring yet, but if I was Stetson Bennett, I'd absolutely be wearing the one that I got last That's year. That's right. That's right. And, uh, and, and, and maybe borrow a teammate's for the other hand as I'm throwing at the Combine. Because he's a dang good player. Yeah. You know, he's just a dang good player yeah. that does it. He's not, a tr- he's not a guy that's going to test. He's a guy that's going to produce. He's, he's better on the football field. When there's defenses out there, that's, he, that's what he the is. thing. He's going to have to convince general managers that uh, the processing is elite, which very well may be, and uh, you know, and that and that if you want to win, I need to be on your team. And and again, that's a strong message. I mean, you know, his record is a is a starter these last two years is basically immaculate, and uh, and obviously he was able to play at a high level and in the closest thing to an NFL league that we probably have, uh, the SEC is still miles away from the NFL, but it's the closest I would say at the the collegiate level. So um, it's, I'm, you know, I'm excited to see it, but Stetson Bennett uh, is going to also have to answer questions about maturity and you can't, you can't be doing 
you know, the uh, Steichen, the Colts' new coach, said it very plainly yesterday when he met with reporters. He said, what am I looking for in a quarterback? I'm not looking for arm strength. I'm not looking for accuracy. I, I can improve that. I need somebody who is obsessed with the game. And people that are obsessed with the game aren't getting, you know, intoxicated in public and running from the police. So uh, it's going to be interesting with Stetson Bennett. But uh, certainly he's got a lot of strengths. Yeah, absolutely. I saw this uh, nugget on Twitter. The Bears want to find the most competitive guys at the Combine, so they're playing darts and putt-putt with prospects. Yeah, it's funny. The, uh, I, think, I think it's a little silly. A little? But, <laughs> but, uh, but I do remember, as silly as that is, I remember all the talk that the great quarterbacks are the ones that can beat you at ping-pong, darts, free throws, because they're competitive. I, I still think, that's, I think a lot of the way they test these guys is kind of silly. Which Florida coach was it said? Mullen. Mullen, right, Dan Mullen? If we thumb wrestle, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to win because I'm right. that person. Right. I don't uh, know exactly how competitive he thumb wrestled so. better than he recruited. Well, that was part of the problem. All right, I love going down memory lane uh, since you guys always have such a good memory about these types of things. So top ten combine performances. Starting it off in 1995, this player ended up going seventh overall to the Philadelphia Eagles. Mike, Mike Mamula from Boston College. He's a legend. He's the ultimate. Combine. He's, he's the ultimate combine guy. It really wasn't a good player in college or pros, but he but he but he but he went seventh overall because what he did here. Mike Mamula is the guy. He 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 is the workout warrior that was better at working out than he was anything else. And certainly Anthony Richardson hopes he's going to have a great combine performance, but not end up being like that. Uh, Bo Jackson, 1986, obviously first overall pick to the Tampa Bay Bucks. What do you remember about Bo Jackson's combine? I, I don't remember, obviously, anything about his combine because I was 10, but I do remember the fact that he didn't play for him. Uh, can you imagine that? That's a story. Can you imagine that happening today? A player getting drafted number one overall saying, thanks but no thanks. I'm going I'm, – I'm not – coming out and uh and then having to be redrafted the next year it's pretty amazing and he he might be the greatest the most the, the most athletic football well he is the most athletic football baseball player ever i mean for a guy he did stupid stuff I mean, he did ridiculous stuff in both sports john ross in 2017 went ninth overall to the Bengals. i remember how, how fast, fast he, he was ran. yeah yeah he, he was just just his speed I did not remember this one, uh, and it wasn't that long ago. The 2015 draft, Byron Jones ended up going 27th overall to the Cowboys. Mm-hmm. I don't remember that at all. Yeah, and and he was decent. Uh, he ran what like a four, two nine or something like that. It was it was, it was ridiculous. But uh, go ahead, Hayes. No, yeah, but uh, and and the Raiders used to be bad about the four. You know, there was one year where I don't know if he's on your list, but Maryland had a receiver, Darius Hayward Bay. He's not. He was not all that good in college. He shows up in Indianapolis, runs some 4-3 run, and, you know, Al Davis was still the owner at the time of the Raiders, and and everybody said it. The second he ran it, it was like, the Raiders are going to take him in the top ten. And they did, and he didn't end up being (laughs) great. He he lasted a pretty pretty good while in the NFL. He never eclipsed, uh, you know, stardom. As much as I love coming here, I've always said I would really prefer a guy who's good at football than a guy who's good at running and lifting. I just, I just, now, I understand running and lifting can make you better at football. It does make you better at football, but I'd like, I want a guy that's good at football. There are a few that are really good at football that also performed well here at the Combine. Numbers five and six, J.J. Watt and Aaron Donald. Yeah. yeah. 
And you know, I didn't know that. I didn't know they were they were a combine warrior. I didn't know either one of them were. Aaron Donald. I, what was interesting about his draft process is how dominant he was at the Senior Bowl, and so that was what really got him, you know, momentum from right. late first rounder to, you know, that somebody that could push into the into the the top half, uh, and then obviously had a, a very strong combine and uh, ended up, you know, being probably the best pick in that entire draft. Uh, JJ Watt, I don't, I don't really remember having a great combine, but it does, it makes sense. Of course, yeah. With his uh, speed and power. Number seven, Vernon Davis, 2006 draft. He Maryland. went six overall to the 49ers. Number eight is a name I had never heard of. Uh, Stephen Paya, 2011 draft, went 53rd overall to the Bears. Because he benched 225 right. like 39 times, oh, right, wow. or okay. something yeah. like that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, number nine, Don Terry Poe, 2012 draft, 11th overall to the Chiefs, and finally a punter, Pat O'Donnell. He went in the sixth round of the that? 2014 draft, but he put on a show. How about that? Did not remember yeah. all that. Interesting. Most athletic punter. Charlie Strong is not done with football yet. We certainly wondered, but he's going to head to Alabama and work with Nick Saban. Yeah, and they're good buddies. Defensive buddy. analysts. They're good friends. They're very good friends. And I think uh, Charlie's presence, when recruits are brought in, Charlie, he can't recruit on the road as an analyst, but he certainly can meet them when they get there. Charlie's presence is a defensive mind. Charlie's presence is a recruiter. Charlie's presence is just a good man. It makes it worthwhile, and Nick Saban knows that. They're good friends, and I think and I think Charlie positively affected Alabama when he was there before. I do, too. I think it's a brilliant move, uh, one of probably a million that Nick Saban has made as Alabama's head coach. We've been quite busy here at the Combine, so I know you guys have not been watching any golf, but Frank, take a guess as to who is the leader at the Arnold Palmer Invitational. Oh, Bay Hill, no idea. Your guy. John Rom. It is John Johnny Rom. Rom. He is seven under currently. And uh, Chris Kirk, who just won a week ago, uh, he's tied for third. He's five under. There's a guy I've never heard of, Kurt Kitayama, who's at six under. Uh, Chris Kirk is tied with Cameron Young. They're both at five under. Uh, Scotty Scheffler at four under. Jordan Spieth at four under. Shoffley at four under. Cantley at four under. Ricky Fowler at four under. So this is a really good leaderboard, uh, maybe as opposed to last week. Yeah, yeah. And I, I, by the way, we got a little golf coming up? We do. How about that? Won't be long. Hey, Gibby, you ready for golf? Ready for golf. Uh, yes. Now, 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 Gibby, I will tell you this. We start loser Monday next week. We've forgotten 27 times. you got to wear the hat on Monday, bro. Just, uh, I'm just preparing you for hat business on Monday. Well, so I think what's happened is the show's been on the road for three weeks. So, <laughs> um, you know, I haven't had a chance to do that. So, <laughs> Yeah. But Monday it is. No, we it, that, we'll do that Monday. And then uh, a week from today, uh, I'm sure whatever golfer I picked will be turning <laughs> in uh, 77. <laughs> Give you a word to have on Monday, and, and Hayes will get us lunch the following Monday. So it's just like that. So there you go. But I'm looking forward to that. That will be a lot of fun. Hey, let me ask you guys, um, before we say hello to Rick, um, what's been your favorite part of the, the last three days? Oh, that's a really good question. Uh, my favorite part is just talking to people on and off air and, and hearing stories yeah. that circulate, you know, whether it's a, a Prisco or a Kaplan, just yeah. all the behind the scenes stuff. I, I love that. How about you? I love seeing all the players. I mean, I you know, between yesterday and today, you know, yeah. probably saw 80 to 100 and, and you get it, I like to at least get a look of all of them. And then obviously you can only listen to so many. Uh, beginning to, you know, listen, talk to 30, 40, yeah. you know, players that are, you know, I'm going to be watching either, I mean, maybe even covering for the Jaguars, mm -hmm. but certainly, uh, you know, watching as a, as a fan of the NFL, that's exciting. And it's, it's good to get a sense of, you know, the, it, it's, 
I'd, I'd love to be able to sit, see all right. of them. Right. And, uh, you know, but, uh, but to see all the defensive linemen, linebackers, and defensive backs was really cool. My favorite part were Doug and Trent because they had such a – they were beaming and, and we had them. We don't – you know, because they're so busy, we don't get a chance to get them one-on-one all that often. And having both Doug and Trent for over 10 minutes uh, a piece, I really enjoyed that. Narrowly edging out Joey Molinaro. Okay, <laughs> that was that was very high on my list. He is a superstar and, and a he nice was guy. And he was yeah. funny, and he we played along with our question and answer and did a great job. So we really appreciate. I it. I also love seeing people I only see on TV in person. Yes, that part's kind of cool too. Let's say hello to Rick Ballou. Now the two-minute drill, brought to you by Tire Outlet, keeping 1010XL talking with wholesale prices and premium service. Tire Outlet, Jacksonville's largest locally owned automotive repair shop. Rick, we've been talking about this all week and all uh, for weeks. What's your opinion of the the four quarterbacks? How they're headed? Bryce Young, C.J. Stroud, Anthony Richardson, Will Levis. What do you think of those guys? Where do you think uh, how high they're headed? You know, I don't think. I, I hope that. Two of them end up in the AFC South. I, I yeah. you know, I do not think any one of the four is close uh, to Trevor Lawrence. Um, I didn't think any quarterback that was selected a year ago was close right. to Trevor Lawrence. And I understand, and I think we all get it, uh, in a league where, what, we had 16 changes at offensive coordinator uh, this past season. Head coach, offensive coordinator, quarterback, that is constantly going to be a revolving door. I think teams panic and say goodbye to guys in cases a little bit too soon. Uh, be interested to see what they do the next four days, but I'm I'm not blown away by any of them. I I think each and every one there's there's a a major negative. So it'll be interesting. But uh, wouldn't it be cool to have both Tennessee and you know at least have two Houston obviously as well uh, turn around and and make some selections there for those quarterbacks and. All of a sudden, you have Trevor in year three, and you're going up against a couple of rookie quarterbacks. Yeah, and I think that's exactly what you're going to have, Rick. I think you're dead on. Right, what's coming up tonight on the program? What are we doing? we got a lot of fun stuff scheduled tonight, Frank. i got a secret that's up my uh, left sleeve. I'm going to uh, unleash that in just a – oh, it's big – in just a couple of moments. And, um, you know, much more from the Combine. We have it on here. We've been watching it. Big day for the guys off the defense. Can Jacksonville really go back there? I mean, that's, that's, and I, you know, this is the, the thing that amazes me is that I think the way that we think is, all right, you draft Taven Bryan, you draft um, Allen, Chase on, you know, you draft Walker, but a brand new regime doesn't think that way. They don't think the way the media thinks. They don't think the way that the fans think. And if they feel they can get an edge guy or an interior guy that's going to make that defensive line that much better. Would we be surprised at all if that's where they go, you know, at number 24? Yeah, you're right. It's going to be very interesting now, between now and the draft at the end of April. Rick, thanks, buddy. Safe travels. Thanks, bud. We sure appreciate it. It's our last day in Indianapolis. I want to thank the folks that came by our table. We sure appreciate it. Doug Peterson and Trent Balky, of course. They kicked us off. Mark Vandermeer, Ryan O'Halloran, all the first day. Matt Taylor from the Colts. Bucky Brooks, boy, was he good. Greg Cosell was outstanding. Our friend Joey Milanaro, I was still laughing about some of the stuff he did in Kevin Kaplan day two. And then, of course, today, uh, Matthew Berry, who uh, Hayes caught up with. Joe Cullen, our old buddy that was the former defensive coordinator, Johnny O, Prisco, and who we hope you enjoyed our, our roundtable. That was an awful lot of fun with my buddies from the AFC South. Folks, that'll do it for our program. Don't go anywhere. Rick Beluga's into the night right now. That's our last show from Indianapolis. Tomorrow we'll be no, we're not back in studio. Tomorrow we'll be at uh, Island Wings on the south side. That's right. Island Wings. Come see us. We're certainly looking forward to that. Folks, we're out of here. 
What a fun time it's been. Thanks to Hodges Mazda of the Avenues and all the sponsors who made this trip possible. We thank Window World. We thank the law offices of Stephen Doty. We thank Dome Headwear for this. We thank uh, the law offices or the Hastings Injury Law Firm. Folks, that's our program. Rick Blue is next. This is 1010XL and 92.5 FM.